spreading Cajun across the nation, pushing the brand across the land. Welcome to Ragin' Review, made by the fans for the fans. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, cats, snakes, chickens, ducks, elderly people, and twerkers, we present to you the dulcet tones, Jerry A. Bear, and your boy, Man About Town, Josh Ogno. I'm sitting in for Matt tonight, so look, it's going to be a roller coaster ride. You're just going to have to strap in tight, all right? A lot of stuff going on. Obviously, you guys know, hurricane, things like that. Uh, we're doing the best we can. So, anyway, bring it in, Jerry. Jerry, welcome. Happy to have you. Let's do this thing, man. Let's pick up the slack for Matt. No, nah, we got this, man. Josh, you're doing great so far. The first 30, 30 seconds was great. You got to throw – anytime you throw in a little Manny Fresh, it always makes it more fun. You know what I mean? Nobody yeah, can dude. argue with that. You know, a little, you little the local. early 2000s big-timers, it's always going to go over well. Absolutely, especially for me. I'm from the 504, so I know about that. Yeah, a little bit of homage that. to New Orleans, even though they're going through a yeah. tough time. We're thinking about you. No doubt. No so, doubt. you know, on that note, Matt is helping family kind of pick up the pieces and doing some hurricane relief. So um, with everything going on, we thought it was important to get some content out for you guys and, and to, you know, continue the tradition of Behind the Enemy Lines. So, we're going to do that. We're going to do Behind Enemy Lines. We're, we have two interviews coming for you. Uh, but in the meantime, we, we really want to just express our, our condolences and concern to everybody in southeast Louisiana. I know it was a tough week. Uh, yeah, we, we, up to the last moment, we thought we were going to be in that number. So um, we are, we're right there with you. Um, we're going to try to highlight some, some causes before we get out of here uh, for, for giving or for drop-off donations, what have you. Uh, we know a few people doing some good work. So we're definitely going to talk about that. Uh, Jerry is intimately familiar with this type of, uh, of occurrence, obviously being from Kenner and having family down that way. Uh, and I'll let him talk about that. Yeah, I appreciate it, Josh. You know, yeah, like Josh said, uh, our thoughts, you know, our thoughts and prayers go out to the people of southeastern Louisiana affected by this storm. Um, I think this is close to home for all of us. You know, we're from Lafayette. We've had a few major hurricanes come our way over the past few years. Um, I lived through Katrina um, and it's almost like deja vu. Um, you know, first of all, it was 16 years to the day that Hurricane Ida made landfall. And, um, you know, August 29th, somebody made a comment uh, on social media the other day, and I think she's right. Uh, August 29th in South Louisiana has become the new Friday the 13th. Um, and it's been unfortunate, but we're resilient people. We're resilient people, and we're going to get through this. Uh, we're going to rebuild, and we're going to come back stronger. Um, and so, like Josh mentioned, um, we're going to find ways, regardless of whether it's from whatever charity or anybody we know that's doing something, whether it's donations or or any type of giving, um, we're going to try to keep that in the loop, look, look out on social media, Twitter, Facebook, and, and we'll just kind of share whatever we can. Um, whether it's drop-offs, uh, any type of like donations, anything you can give to help these people rebuild. Um, there's a lot of people right now in the southern parishes like uh, Terrebonne, uh, Lafouche, St. Charles Parish, St. John Parish, Jefferson, Orleans, Plaquemines, St. Bernard, St. Tammany, Tangipahoa. All those parishes were really, really affected hard 
by this hurricane. And there's a lot of people out there with, you know, no electricity, um, no running water. Um, there's a lot of people who have, you know, who rode the hurricane out, who I know personally, who are now out of state displaced to get away from it all. Um, you know, I actually have family staying with me right now from New Orleans. So, um, you know, it, it's a tough time, but, you know, we, we had to get this podcast out, Josh and I, because um, as hard as it is to think about these things, you know, we, we, we hope that this next few hours brings a little bit of normality to, to everyone. Uh, we hope that um, with, with the football game two days away, that somehow we can, you know, even, if, even though we have a lot of cleanup, even though we have a lot of work to do, to get things back to where they were before, even though it's going to take time, maybe just listening in and talking some Cajun sports can, can kind of, you know, I don't know, give you, get your mind off of things for a little while. Um, because obviously there's a lot of distractions out there right now between COVID and this hurricane recovery effort. So um, again, our thoughts and prayers go out to all the people affected. And if you can lend a helping hand any kind of way, let's show that Cajun generosity. Let's show that South Louisiana generosity and resiliency. And um, we'll keep you, uh, in the in the loop for any type of um, uh, charitable causes uh, that that can head that way. Yeah, that's well said. And you know, we'd be remiss without mentioning. Uh, you know, we've got multiple players on this roster and coaches on, on this coaching staff that hail from Southeast Louisiana. Uh, there's plenty of them. I think it's something like twenty twenty or twenty two. Yeah, uh, and that, uh, all the way from around that, yeah, that's right. So, you know, it's it's something that we need to mention, and, and Jerry said it well <laughs> when he said, you know, sometimes just feeling normal for a few hours can really help and really help uh, a stressful time. So that's what we're going to try to do tonight and deliver some content uh, and do it for the people who, who have stuck with us and supported us. Speaking of support, uh, we were able to do uh, ESPN 1420 hit this morning with Scott, and that was a, a thrill. <laughs> And he was great. Yeah. We appreciate Scott doing that for us. Almost an hour of uninterrupted live radio on, you know, for what's been 30 years of sports domination for talk radio in this area. You know, when, when you start getting, you know, when you get three guys in a room and you're just talking about what you like to talk about, which is football and the Cajuns, you know, if, we, if you'd have told us a few years ago when we started this, we'd be talking to Scott Prather on 1420 and, and he'd call us in for an interview, you know, that would have been a little bit hard to believe, but it happened today, <laughs> and that was cool. It was really a cool experience. Scott was awesome about it, and uh, you know, he—I thought he asked great questions. He always does, but uh, I thought he asked great questions, and it gave us an opportunity to tell our story, which I don't think we've had the opportunity to do yet. Yeah, he was also very complimentary of the podcast. You know, and one one thing that stuck out to me is like, you know, when you've done ten or more episodes, you've made it. And we've done a lot more than 10 episodes. And just the fact that he recognized that, he led us on to his show. I mean, the Great Scott Show has been around for a long time. It's one of the most well-known sports shows in Acadiana. And the fact that he gave us some time to kind of talk about our podcast, talk about what we do, um, it means a lot. And, you know, Scott and I go way back. Um, you know, I met him my freshman year of college when I was an, uh, a, man, a student manager for the football team. And uh, when I started covering high school sports for a little while, while I was in college and through grad school, um, you know, Scott and I created a friendship and, um, you know, the fact that he's, he's still, he recognizes what we do, um, and was able to get us some airtime and it, it meant a lot. And I thought, I really thought it was a great interview. I thought it was a great segment. Uh, I had a lot of fun doing it, Josh, I'm sure you as well as Matt had a great time as well. And I'm hoping and not, not to beg or anything, but I, I'd like to go back on, you know, if Scott would have us, we'd be more than happy and more than willing to come back on and talk some more Cajun sports, not just about our story, but he wants, wants to talk Cajun sports from, from another perspective. We'd be more than happy to, uh, 
be a guest on the great Scott show again. So Scott, if you're listening, the invite, anytime you give us an invite, we're in. The way I look at it, okay, is anytime I have the opportunity to talk sports or talk Cajuns or talk Lafayette, I'm in because it's fun. Sure. It's something that we, you know, we're, we're, we're not lying when we say this is something that we're, we're invested in. This is a passion of ours. And I think that that comes through when we record. And I think that that's why we've been able to kind of get that grassroots following like we spoke to Scott about and you know, like I said, man, when you get three people in a room that really care about something, uh, something great is going to end up being created. And, uh, you know, not to toot our own horn, but I think we do a pretty good job of, of delivering on that promise or, or, you know, on that theory. Um, but to, tr- to tie it all together, you know, the support aspect, uh, we have a, a, a guy that showed up to the live show at, at Ryan's Place at Mid-City, Smokehouse, uh, 117 South College, a little plug for my guy. Um <laughs> And his name is Chris, and his name is Coach Chris on Twitter. He's, he's a good follow, and he follows us. He is based out of Lauraville, and I want to say the last three hurricanes in this area, I've seen uh, all the things that he has been involved with, and you know whether it be putting together donations or putting together a drop-off center or you know coordinating with, with other parishes. Uh, Chris, and I want to say his last name is Ransonette. Uh, and he, again, he's out of Lauraville. Please go find this guy on Twitter. He's put out a few different links for donations and drop-off areas um, that if you guys want to help down there, you know, going down south of us. It's a great center. It's a good hub for everyone in that area, you know, the south part of Lafayette. Um, and his Twitter handle is at CJ Ransonet, R-A-N-S-O-N-E-T. And his, his name is Coach Chris. And I just wanted to give him a shout-out because – you know, he came out to the show. We visited with him. I found him to be a very likable guy. I think what he's doing is very important for the community, and I, I just uh, I, I felt like we needed to say that today. So, you know, we're going to continue to try to highlight these people that are really working hard to do some good in the community and help build back. Um, so we're going to keep doing that. And, and like I said, we appreciate Chris showing up to the live show. Um, and and I, that's not the only reason why I'm highlighting him. It's just he's the freshest face that we had the opportunity to visit with, and, and it just happened. So, you know, shout out to Chris for what he's doing, and, and Lauraville as a whole, that community is really helping out. No, no doubt. And I think, you know, for anybody listening, whether you have a Facebook, whether you have a Twitter, any type of social media, anytime you have a charitable organization sharing a post about, you know, donations and whatnot, just go ahead and share it. Just press share. Um, that's one thing I've done over the past few days. Um, look, there's a lot of people that need a lot of cleaning supplies, food, water, there's also some people that need to get out of there and out of those areas. You know, there's no electricity. It's a hundred degrees outside. It's hot. It's humid. And there's no air condition. There's people looking for lodging anywhere. If there's anybody, you know, that has an apartment or any type of place, like if there's available lodging and you know of it, or you see it online, like just post it. And maybe there's somebody can sign a, a six month lease. I don't know, however long. And you know, whatever it takes to help someone even share, like I said, sharing a post, it doesn't have, you don't have to go out and do all these 20 different things, sharing a post and, and donating a bot, some bottled water, you know, that goes a long way. So um, like Josh said, we're going to continue to try to get the message out and see what we can do to help out this community and, and the, the areas affected because, you know, I've been on the phone all day yesterday and all day today talking to friends and family and everybody who got affected by this hurricane is very affected by it now. 
um, and they need all the help they can get. So we're going to continue to spread that message here at Rage and Review. And, you know, outside of being a Cajun fan, we're going to be Cajuns in general. We're going to be generous. We're going to lend a helping hand in any way that we can. Yeah, for sure. And we might even start to delve into if people need uh, shelter or, you know, temporary homes. I know Duty just mentioned, but uh, I've also had people call and say, hey, do you know anyone with a, with a, with a, I don't know, a storage unit with some air conditioning that we can post up in for six weeks. I mean, it's really desperate in certain areas. So uh, if you look up in the sky, you see four or five helicopters at a time every 30 seconds. I mean, things are really happening where they're trying to get, uh, I don't know, rescue, supplies, you name it. There's so many things that are happening right now because of this. But, um, you know, we're going to try to focus on some football, like we said, to kind of make things feel a little bit less stressful uh, during a very stressful time. We've got Texas on Saturday, two days away. Very exciting. Big, big opportunity for this program, this community. I know everybody is fired up. Um, I know Jerry is. He's got a big smile on his face right now. And uh, we're going to deliver the Behind Enemy Lines segment like we have in the last couple of years. You know, we've really come to like that. Really, uh, it's fun and, and it's a privilege to get to know some of these guys on the other side that what we like to think is – kind of uh, an ignored um, avenue for information with the, the message boards and the social media and the podcasters. Um, so we're happy to be able to bring a, a different perspective. And uh, we have two guests tonight that we think you guys will like. Yeah, also too, like when you read the message boards, you can't really get the connotation of the message itself, right? Like, you know, man about town, right? I mean, you you post things and then I meet you and you're like, like Scott said on the interview, like, Oh, he's a totally different guy. But, <laughs> yeah. but again, it's all about passion. I mean, we laugh about it, but, but you are a passionate fan just like me and whether it's Matt or whoever. And, and at the end of the day, you, you know, there's every fan base has them, you know? And so when you meet people from Texas or, you know, Ohio in the next few weeks from Nichols or South Al or Georgia Southern or whoever, they're going to have passionate fans as well. And you can only do so much with dialogue on a message board, right? When you actually get to talk with them and converse with them, you get the best of, you know, you get to hear their side and then we kind of, kind of mix in. We do a little trash talk for fun, but there's a mutual conversation. And that's one thing that I enjoy about these behind enemy line segments. You get their perspective of what they think about us. They get their, they get our perspective of what we think about them. And then we just kind of take the two together and just kind of talk about the game and what, what our expectations are for both teams. Right, and when we do the research for these shows, we try to find people that really know what they're talking about. You know, X's and O's, uh, the program as a whole, the rosters, you know, people that have really done research. That's who we want to speak to. We want to, we want to get the perspective of the guy that actually went to practice on Tuesday. You right. know what I mean? That, yeah. That's who that's who we look for. And I, I think we're, we've been a we've been doing a good job at finding those people. You know, with Kyle Umling, you guys will hear in just a minute. Uh, we we you know we it felt like we had a pretty good dialogue with him, and then we got to talk a little bit of shit, and that's fun too. You know, <laughs> you take a little bit of that, yeah. that of that message board uh, behavior and attitude, and and you kind of inject it, and it makes it fun. You know, you talked about having a passionate fan or a passionate fan base. That's what we're lacking. You know, we, we talked to, to Nico about this. We, we're lacking those passionate fans. I'm not saying we don't have them. I'm saying we don't have enough of them. And uh, one of our goals, stated goals, is to kind of cultivate that kind of fan within our fan base here in Lafayette. So um, Umlang was fun, and he's got some stats he's going to give out, and you'll probably get a few laughs out of that. But I, I kind of yanked his chain a bit, and that was fun. 
it was enjoyable and he was a good sport about it. Um, and, you know, really you talk about passionate fans. I think we have them. I think there's still sort of a wait and see game, right? Um, you know, from 2011 to 2014, you had fans that were just showing up to games that were packing Cajun field. And then all of a sudden you had that little drop for about three or four seasons. And then all of a sudden we're 21 and four in two years. And then of course COVID hit. So that doesn't help with the timing. I think timing's been off a little bit with the Cajun fan base, but you know, there's no reason why we shouldn't get that fan base back now. Uh, Top 25 ranking preseason top 25 ranking, which has never happened before. And then on top of that, I remember hearing fans that I've talked to who were around in the 1980s when Brian Mitchell played. Oh, we're, we're the next up and coming school. We're this, we're that. Sleeping giant. We, we, the giant, the giants, the giant stretching his arms right now. He's drinking his coffee. He's awake. The okay? giant's walking like, around. The giant, the giant has his coffee and do and reading the newspaper. He's awake. So, what what else is there to wait for? What what are we waiting for? The giant's up. He's sitting at the table reading the newspaper, drinking coffee. Yeah, we you know we really to need to sit down with day. Brian and talk about tickets because the the numbers that he gave out this morning were just atrocious. So yeah. we you know what the, the number one question I want to ask him. I know you guys go in and you're nice to people and you, you I, I, they're great at the professional deal. I want to know if they've tried guilt yet. Cause you can guilt, you can guilt somebody into some stuff around here now. How dare you? I know they like, just send me in there. I'll, I'll make them feel guilty. I'll make them hate themselves after a few minutes. <laughs> you sit there in shame for not buying tickets. No, I, I think, you know, and one thing Brian brought up, um, to me one time, as he said, because of the way the schedule works this year with the three Saturday games, the other three being during the week, he did say they do expect a lot of walk-ups because, you know, you got some fans with kids and you know you've got little kids. I've got one on the way. You know, a Tuesday night game, most kids, it's school night, so it's hard to be able to to get them in to go to the game, and then you have to leave early. And sometimes some people would just rather watch it on ESPN. So the deal – That and sometimes – like, dude, you don't know what you're going to be doing until the week of the game, you know? So right, exactly. it doesn't really pay, and I understand it from a frugal standpoint, it doesn't really pay to buy season tickets unless I just want to support the program. And, you know, there's not a whole lot of people out there like that. People actually want to pay for what they're going to do. You know, they want to use right. what they bought. So I understand the dynamics of it all. At the same time, it's never going to be this good. Well, I don't want to say never. You never know what can happen, but... It's unlikely that it'll be this good in Lafayette again. This head coach, this roster, this timing. Uh, it's To me, it's one of those, look, if I was ever going to spend a couple of extra bucks, it's going to be now. You know, they actually, um, the Louisiana Athletic Department came out today. There's a, a flex packs, which are on sale. Out of the six home games, you get a package deal. You can pick two you can pick a weekday and a weekend game. Uh, the first package is Ohio, which is a Thursday game, as well as Georgia State. It's a weekday package. You've got Nichols or ULM, which are both weekend games. And then you've got the premium, which is Texas State and App State, which are both one's a midweek game, the other one's a weekend game. So you have flex packages you can pick. They're on sale now, $75. Uh, a three-game flex pack for $75, and you save nearly 25% off. So – if you can't go to every game, you can pick two games out this season that you want to go to for seventy-five bucks. How many Nash? How many top twenty-five teams offer a deal like that? Zero. How many? And and that dropped yeah. today. 
Yeah, it, I, I, we retweeted it. If you go on our Twitter, it's retweeted. You go to Louisiana Raging Cages, their Twitter page, they will have that deal with a link on there. And so they're doing what they can to make sure that people attend. I mean, again, I understand, look, there's a lot of midweek games. At the same time, the, the flip side, and I know fans don't agree with this, but you get national TV coverage. Yes, you're not going to have 30,000 people at the game on a Tuesday night, but you can get at least 20 on, on national TV, and you're on national TV. Plus, plus, if you don't want to buy season tickets, and, and I know a lot of fans are kind of holding out of the season ticket package, do the walk-up. Go buy a single-game ticket to the games you can go to, but we need you to show up. That's what it matters. If you can't make the Tuesday game, go to the game, the homecoming game on, on October 30th against Texas State, or go, you know, if you, maybe you can make a Thursday game against Georgia State. I don't know, but um, go, go to the games. Uh, this, is, this is a historic year for, for Louisiana football that we've never seen before. So enjoy, just be there to enjoy it. I love the idea. I love the idea, and I love the fact that they're working with the fans to try to get butts in seats. You know, we we can't we haven't always been able to say that from from the leadership. So, you, you at some point you got to recognize the effort, and you got to start doing your part. I mean, sure. the sleeping giant thing has been said around here since I've been born. Okay, it's time, guys. <laughs> it's, this is the time. So, anyway, Jerry and I are gonna let uh, we're gonna let the guests take you the rest of the way. Uh, we're gonna get to the meat and potatoes of the pod. Thank you for sitting through this and bearing with me. Subbing in for Matt again. They're doing great. They're doing great. Well, I got a ton more respect for the for the guy behind the ones and twos because it's not that easy, boys. It's not that easy. Schilling Distributing Company, Acadiana's top alcohol distributor for over 70 years, has been a proud supporter of Louisiana athletics for many of those years. Now, they've kindly decided to become the exclusive distributing sponsor of the Rage and Review podcast. This is just another chapter in Schilling Distributing's rich history of giving back to the Lafayette community. Starting as an Anheuser-Busch exclusive distributor, they're now expanded to include local brews for your sipping pleasure. Schilling services over 1,500 local businesses throughout the Acadiana area, employing 160 Ragin' Cajun residents, and they boast over 1,400 years of combined experience. Corporately headquartered right here in Lafayette at 2901 Moss Street, Schilling Distributing encourages Cajun Nation to enjoy their beverages responsibly and reminds you to download the Liquid Finder app today. All right, boys and girls, welcome back. Josh sitting in for Matt. Please bear with me. So for Behind Enemy Lines, you know, we got we, we like to bring you guys uh, perspective from the other side, and we've done that today with Mr. Kyle Umlang. He is a huge UT fan, and uh, we're going to bring him in, let him tell you about himself, what he's got going on, um, and a little bit of background. So if you will, hang in tight for 
Kyle, Kyle, go ahead when you're ready, bud. Hi, guys. Good to be here. Um, as you may know, I am a big Texas guy on Twitter. I was actually voted best Texas Twitter account in 2021, going for a repeat title next year. Um, love the Longhorns. Try and follow everything they do in all sports. Obviously, football is my favorite. Um, I like to post random stats, uh, unique stats, stats that have never been found before. Those are my bread and butter. Or um, just like, you know, Twitter's full of like bad takes from all, all sorts of um, all sorts of uh, teams, all sorts of fans. Everyone makes bad takes. And my bread and butter also is uh, is finding those bad takes and correcting them so that there's no spread of misinformation on Twitter. Uh, and people like that do that. Um, so if you're on Twitter, come and find me. Ask me for a stat. I'll probably give you a good one. Uh, yeah, so let's talk some football for this weekend. Absolutely, and you talk about stats. You posted a pretty cool one the other day. Uh, obviously, Cajun fans will, will find this to be uh, uh, pretty interesting. But uh, in the, the ver the, I think it's the last five Texas coaches, the first-ranked team that they played, they are yep. combined 0 and 5. Uh, yep. I thought that was very uh, interesting, and maybe maybe expound on that a little bit. Well, I mean, everyone knows uh, what happened with uh, Charlie Strong and Tom Herman. Strong got, uh, I think, a number eleven Notre Dame at Notre Dame. We got stomped. He wasn't. We weren't prepared for it. It was his first game. Um, actually, maybe it wasn't his first game. Maybe it was first game of, the, of his second season. Um, and then Tom Herman, he lost two in a row, 2017 and 18 against Maryland, uh, there and at home. So, I mean, that's, that's hard to do. Uh, but he, he found a way to pull it off. Um, and then, so, so from 2000 to present day, 21 home openers. Um, we actually, wait, no, I'm, I'm, I'm confusing. Those are ranked opponents. Sorry. I was thinking of, um, it's, it's the same guys, but from 2000 to present day, we have, we're 18 and three on just, Season openers, and Tom Herman lost two of them. Charlie Strong lost the other. So without those guys, we'd be undefeated in season openers, but they found ways to, to do it. Um, um, Herman, he played, I think USC was his first, and they were, I think, ranked number four. Uh, he had it, it was at USC, too, so that was a hard game. And Sam, uh, I don't even know if Sam started. Yeah, Sam started. It was his first start. It was just a bunch of firsts, and we almost pulled it off, but lost. Um, Charlie Strong, his first, I think, was maybe a top Notre Dame team. I'm not sure. I can't remember his, but um, wait, no, no, it was Notre Dame. It was, uh, I don't know, Oklahoma or someone, something like that. Uh, he got close to, lost by three. Uh, Mac Brown, who I think started in 98, um, he got stomped. Uh, the two coaches before him got stomped and stopped. So uh, if you look at the point differentials from like the fifth furthest back coach, it's like 20 something points. Then it goes down to 18 points, then down to like uh, 17 points, then three and three. So we're getting closer as we go on. So uh, that might mean a good thing for Sarkeesian. We don't know. We'll have to see on Saturday. So but Kyle, we're, what's we're needing a win. <laughs> yeah. Kyle, Jerry here. Um, quick question. So, 
but I think in the last decade, uh, Texas has gone through three new head coaches. Um, you know, after Mac Brown for the long tenure he had, in comes Charlie Strong with high expectations. Had a lot of success from Louisville. Um, really didn't pan out as most expected. Then comes Tom Herman. Had a great run at Houston. Same thing. Um, so kind of like deja vu all over again. Now that you have Steve Sarkeesian, a guy who has been a head coach at a few P5 schools, coached under Nick Saban in Alabama, as a fan, compare the expectations with the hires of Charlie Strong and Tom Herman compared to Steve Sarkeesian now. Is it sort of because of the last two that there's a little bit of hesitation or is there more optimism with the experience that Sarkeesian had at those P5 schools? Like, what's the vibe of the fan base right now with the expectations that Steve Sarkeesian has coming into Austin. Yeah, um, I, I think the the burnt orange Kool-Aid is flowing heavily in Austin right now um, just because of all the outstanding coaching hires he's done, which usually usually when someone starts over at a school, they're, they're bringing some of their buddies along who, who coached with them, like Tom Herman did that. Uh, I can't remember who Charlie Strong brought, maybe a couple buddies, but, um, you know, like they're not really the best fit all the time for the program. And meanwhile, like Sarkeesian's bringing um, just heavy hitters in all aspects uh, to do coaching. And so we're kind of starting off better than we've ever started off on a new coaching hire before with that aspect. And then if you like look at the team in general, um, yes, we have another true freshman, not true freshman, retro freshman um, quarterback like Sam Ellinger was, but um, just the coaching around him and the, the, offensive line around him who's protect, protecting him. They're much more experienced than the, than the 2017 one with, um, with Tom Herman start. So there's a little bit more um, experience there. And I just think with, um, with the defense too, we got a lot of seniors playing a lot of starts on our team on the D side who we playing um, that was missing in 2017 uh, experienced tight end. We're, we're just more stacked and better coaching um, than the last few times we started off like this. So I'm, I'm hoping just that right there will give us the push to be better than our other few starts with new coaches. There's no doubt you guys are talented. Uh, four or five stars all the way up and down the roster. Um, I have a ton of respect for the coaching, uh, the coaching staff that Sark has put together. You mentioned Hudson Card obviously is going to be uh, something to talk about. People are excited about him. Obviously very talented. We know that. Now, is he – I know he's a redshirt freshman. Is he a super redshirt freshman? Is this going to be his third year in the program? No, no. He's just a regular redshirt freshman. Okay. Um, yes. Um, he, I think he played a few snaps in two different games last year, and then before that he was in high school. So, yeah, he's, he's just regular. Right. And so, I know that you guys had a bit of a quarterback battle. So, is there any feeling for those that were able to see him in spring, spring game, you know, ball mm-hmm. drills, everything, is there any – did he just come out and win the battle for the quarterback position? Did he, you know, are they trying to build the offense around his type of player? I know both quarterbacks who are going to play on Saturday are similar uh, in that regard. You know, they can, mo- they can move around and they're a bit mobile, but what was it about Hudson Card? What was it about him that solidified him as the starter? And also, are people happy about that? Yeah, um, I think it's mixed on who's happy and who's not happy with it. I mean, obviously – Coach Sark is the coach. Whatever he says, just go with the flow. I mean, none of y'all are coaches, so just let his decision be the decision. Uh, you're not going to change his mind. Um, but a lot of people feel kind of like loyal to Casey since he 
played a little bit of the, not a little bit, most of the Colorado game after Sam got hurt um, last game of the season last year. So, and he did really well. Um, I think 300 yards of offense, uh, not too shabby. A couple of touchdowns, um, did pretty well for the first, um, like multiple minute playing time he's done in his career here. So people were thinking he was going to be it going into the summer. And then Hudson Carr came out. And I think, I think just his style, uh, just fits Sark's uh, schemes better, fixes, fixes the type of offense he wants to run. He, we, he wants to focus around, like, Bijan running the ball and Card making good throws, uh, explosive explosive plays for the wide receivers to get some deep balls. Um, and with with Casey Thompson, um, I think I'm, – I'm not sure exactly. I'm, I, I, haven't talked to, I haven't talked to Sark, so don't quote me on any of this, but I, I think that Casey's better at, like, scrambling – and creating plays out of nothing. And I think Sark is hoping that with this new team, with this new offense, there won't be any need for that, really. So so when you take that away, it just comes down to just passing ability. And I think Card uh, has an edge over Casey when it comes to passing. Um, and plus, if, if it was me being the head coach, I would choose someone that I have four years to mold. Like, you know, Card has four years of eligibility left. Um, I think Casey has two, maybe one. So if... if if they're neck and neck, pick the younger guy because you got more time with them, build the offense more around him. Um, and, and like, like not going to diss him on his, uh, on his running ability. Cause I, I, I just checked out his high school tapes again. Cause it's been a while since I've checked him out and he, he can run as good as anyone else. So um, he, there won't be any issues with him escaping um, uh, defenders or anything. If the pocket collapses or anything. So, and hopefully with the, with the OL experience, he won't have to, but uh, I think, I think it was the right decision. I think he's the better passer and just better fit all around for what Sark wants. You know, I watched the bowl game last year, and one thing that stuck out to me was Casey Thompson's ability to run. Uh, he is more of an RPO-type quarterback. He's very athletic. Um, I mean, he were, he concerned me because the first thing I thought was, okay, they're losing Ellinger, but you have a guy now who can run RPO. He's very athletic. And then all of a sudden you see Sark throw that curveball and start Hudson Card, who is a freshman. And I'm like, okay, well, this is this is odd, right? But yeah. again, we're we're not the coach. We we only we're just fans. We, you know, we analyze, but then we're, you know, we don't make the ultimate decision. But I guess with Hudson Card, to me, um the the way Texas's offense is made up, I know you guys have some really good receivers, but of course you've got Bijan Robinson in the backfield. Um and it makes me curious with a a redshirt freshman starting quarterback, especially in the Big 12, where you're going to be playing, you know, high caliber teams week in and week out. It makes me wonder, um, does does the style of offense that Sar- that Steve Sarkeesian left at Alabama, that was more of a pro style, I guess, mm-hmm. does he try to make that adapt with a guy like Hudson Card, whereas he's not running as much, he's not scrambling as much. It's more of sort of a uh, kind of a – I guess it's a pro style offense, kind of like he ran at Alabama with Mac Jones, yeah. where he doesn't have to use his feet. He just kind of depends right. on Bijan Robinson and just kind of has certain assigned routes to his receivers. Yeah. Um, it, it makes me curious on how that dynamic is going to work. And and I'm just kind of wondering, and I'll ask you with a quarterback like Casey Thompson, who was more run heavy, is Sark trying to mold that type of offense into more of a pro style with Bijan Robinson being sort of the, the lead back? Yeah, I, I believe I believe that's exactly what's happening, and I think Casey just doesn't fit what he wants the future to, to be. So it's more cards. So I mean, yeah, I saw that 
they both will get snaps uh, during the game. So uh, since Charlie Strong, there's not counting Sam Ellinger, I guess, after 2017, there's always been like a QB1 and QB2 battle, which I hate. Like, I, I don't want to see QB1 go in there for two drives and then QB2 come out and QB1 loses mojo and everything's just off balance. And I'm uh, Texas fans have been dealing with that for years. So I really hope he means like he will do cleanup duty. I think that's, I hope that's what he means. I, I don't want to see him come out on the third drive starting fresh and taking over and then sw- them switching back. So hopefully, I hope, I hope he just means cleanup. I think the last true quarterback that really had a solidified starting position was Colt McCoy. Because I remember even Gilbert, what's his name? Gary Gilbert, I believe he was. Yep. He, he was sort of a solidified starter, but then he left, you know? Right. And then ever since, it's been that sort of quarterback carousel at Texas, which is kind of surprising because you guys can pretty much get anybody you want, you know? And it's kind of shocking because I guess maybe it's the coaching changes. Maybe it's, you know, the, the yeah. staff constantly yeah. rotating in and out. But, you know, we, we experienced that at Louisiana about four or five years ago. We had a quarterback in Terrence Broadway who led us to three New Orleans Bulls out of the four straight we won from 11 to 14. And then after him, up until we got to Levi and Levi Lewis in 2018, 2019, we were going through the same thing. And the records reflected that, um, you know, three straight losing seasons weren't quite up to par with what it was before. So I think that's a big, that's a big trump card. You, you definitely need a quarterback to, to sort of solidify the position and stay there rather than trying to have these experiments and, and rotate guys in and out at that, at that, at that position, especially when, you know, it's sort of, uh, I mean, it is the position, especially when you're the face of the program. You know, I think Sam Mellinger was able to solidify that, but now you're back to square one because he's gone. Yeah, from um, from 2004 to 2009, we had two quarterbacks, you know. Uh, from 2010 to 2020, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven different quarterbacks. So I know it's different amounts of time but we basically were having a brand new quarterback at least every year um so yeah so in 2011 there's three qbs fighting for it 2012 2 13 2 14 2 15 2 16 shane won at fair and square no one else came in and messed around until 2017 when sam came and battled with him and took it so um yeah i don't want to i don't want to do this again so i'm hoping Card will be the starter going forward every time in case we'll just do clean up. Kyle, I want to talk some defense, man. I, I, for sure. me, I think you're – honestly, I think your bread and butter is going to be defense in 2021. Um, you bring in uh, Pete uh, – is it I, I'm, I'm not quite exactly sure how to say his <laughs> I'll, name. But I'll say it wrong, too. It doesn't matter. All I know <laughs> is, is that, you know, Washington kicked some ass on defense in the Pac-12 for about six or seven years there. Yeah. Uh, I assume he's going to run that same 4-3 with the Jack. Uh, I, I don't expect too much change there, but I, I am curious about the defensive line. I've dug a little bit into the roster, and for me, defensive line is going to be your, probably your most stout uh, grouping this year. Uh, everybody knows Keandre Coleman is uh, Colburn is a, an absolute monster, and he's going to anchor it yet again. Mm-hmm. What do you think that that's going to be the strength the strength of the defense? Do you have maybe some? some hidden confidence somewhere else. Maybe the secondary's grown. I, I don't know. Uh, you tell me. Tell me about Texas's defense. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think you're right. The DL's going to be pretty strong, pretty stout. 
um, lots of leadership on it. But also, I mean, the backfield's got some some a bunch of seniors. We got um, B.J. Foster. He came back for a senior year. Um, he's played a bunch. Uh, hopefully, he can hopefully he can have a better season than last year. Um, we have a transfer, Brendan Schooler. He was wide receiver last year, but he is one to do safety, so we're letting him do safety because he proved he could do it. Uh, Josh Thompson, he's a he's a senior. He'll be cornerback. Um, I think who's that last guy? I think maybe Anthony Cook. He's also a senior. Um, oh, Deshaun Jameson. Uh, he'll be CB also. He's a a senior. God, we're gonna have four or five seniors back there. A um, lot of experience. I I can't remember the last time we had a that many seniors playing, um, but uh, I, th- I think it comes. I think that that's a good thing for us. We need a year uh, with a lot of leadership, a lot of experience uh, to get this uh, new program started. So I think we're good hands, especially with uh, with Pete running things. He's a monster on defense. Um, so I'm, I'm, that was one of my favorite coaching hires. So I think we're pretty good. I agree with you. He's, I mean, he's a proven commodity in college football. I will say this. Right. You're a stats guy, so you'll appreciate this. Uh, 60% of the roster from 2020 is back for Texas. And it sounds like the back end of the secondary is senior-laden. So you must be young somewhere. Is it linebacker? Uh, where is it? Because I'm having other – I mean, obviously on the offensive end, you're, have, you're going to have some young guys. Obviously you're starting a, a true – or excuse me, a, a redshirt sophomore, a quarterback. So there's got to be some youth somewhere. Where is that youth? In yeah, that experience? It, the youth is basically the quarterback, running back, and the receivers, which is, which is strange. Um, I think – yeah, uh, Hudson's a freshman. Bijan's a sophomore. Uh, the freshman who won the the starting position, Xavier Worthy, he's a freshman. Um, Jordan Winton, he's technically a sophomore. Uh, even though this is his third year, he was injured most of both seasons he was supposed to play. So he really is kind of fresh. Um, I think the only like heavy hitter on uh, wide receiver is Joshua Moore. He's a junior. He's been there a while. But um, yeah. Uh, the OL is and tight end. They're all juniors, seniors. I think there's one freshman. Uh, no, yeah, the, the center's a freshman. Um, so yeah, it's going to be quarterback, running back, and receivers. That's where all the youth is. So moving on to the next opponent, our beloved Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Um, you know, we come in here. This is the third meeting between the two schools. Uh, mm-hmm. First meeting came in 2000. Both games played in Austin. Uh, Texas won the first match, uh, 52 to 10, followed by a really close 60 to three walloping in 2005. Uh, we hope and pray that uh, it's nowhere near those scores. And and we don't right. think it. Will. I don't think you know, it's possible. <laughs> yeah, we we've come a long. I'll just say this: our program has come a long way since then. Um, talk a little bit about you know, your knowledge of the Cajuns, uh, what fans are thinking going into this game. I know, um, I guess the perception is, you know, we are a ranked team now, which is sort of something that's an enigma to us. You know, we're not really used to that, but we're enjoying the ride. Is it, I guess, do Texas fans feel like this is the same old Cajuns from 15 years ago? Oh, they're a Sunbelt school or, hey, this team has potential. Like, I'm scared. I don't want to take this team lightly. Like, what's the vibe you're getting from the, the fans? Uh, the smart fans, they are not sleeping on Louisiana. They are, they know that the last two seasons at Louisiana have been the best in program history and only looking to add a third one to that. Um, that, yeah, that, I mean, there are some, some 
people that are like, oh yeah, G5, Sunbelt, who cares? We're going to win, no problem. But I mean, y'all came in and beat Iowa State. We couldn't beat Iowa State. So um, yeah, I, I'm expecting it to be a close-ish game. I hope I'm wrong. hope it's not. I hope we win by two plus scores. But I would not be surprised if um, y'all have the lead somewhere in the first half, at least. Um, you know that I, me and my, me and my friends always joke that for some reason, like against like G five teams, usually they always score a field goal first, always. And we were always down zero to three. Um, I, I'm sure y'all was, if y'all get the ball first, y'all might score. And I, I think it'll slow down from there. Hopefully. I'm glad that we started talking about this. I, I we got to talk a little shit. I mean, we just have to do it. So, is the thing, you know, the message board nowadays is, you know, people traffic in message boards. It just, it is what it is. This, you know, we're more of a connected society. You know, you have a little bit more opportunity to talk a little shit. It's fun. It's great for fan bases. It's great for game days. It's great for rivalries. You know, so anybody that's still looking down on the message board, they're just going to have to get with the times, man. So, you know, I did a little perusing over the last week and uh, found some interesting comments, you know, a couple of 56 to 10 predictions. No. And and, and my question to to Kyle Umbling is this. What percentage of your fan base actually thinks that shit? Mm. Well, so it's it's kind of different for me because... On Twitter, I choose who I get to see. I, I don't see all the nut jobs. I see people that that I have chosen as uh, worthy enough to follow. So, I mean, I, I usually get some real, like, down-to-earth um, realists. Uh, they understand that just being uh, the bigger school doesn't mean you win. Um, you know, like, and I, I, I've, seen, I've seen all – various levels of we're going to lose everything. Every coach sucks. We suck. We're never going to win again. We'll never, we'll never be back. Those people. And then also people are like, Oh, we're going to, we're going to stomp them. Um, we're going to be undefeated when we get to Oklahoma uh, in week five. I, I think it's somewhere in the middle. Um, and luckily I don't really go on message board because the two extremes are what are on message boards usually. And then the middle is who I follow on Twitter. <laughs> so um, if you ever want some good uh, Texas followers, go check out my my list of followers. If, you, if they're Texas, they're they're probably good. Um, and and yeah. and also too, you know, we we're we're the same way. Like we try to be realists, and we're homers. I mean, we love our team just like you love yours. Um, right. I just like I kind of embrace the fact that some of these people are picking fifty six to ten, regardless of who they may be, whether it's Texas fans or anybody else, because. You know, being from the G5, we also want to be the next Boise State. We like to play spoiler. We like to surprise people, you know. And right. uh, I think one thing that Billy Napier has done is he's built his team. He has recruited athletes well enough to look like a P5 school. Um, and it's it's surreal for us because, you know, for a long time, from the times Texas and Louisiana have faced each other, we were the kind of we were kind of we were kind of like rice, right? Like you right. go and not, nothing, not to knock rice. I mean, it's a great school, but you go play their football team. You're kind of expected to win by 30 points, right? It's almost right. like it's, if you don't, it's a disappointment. <laughs> and I, we, we always joke with people like we're not, this isn't your dad's Cajuns anymore, but right. to us, this is a huge opportunity um, to go into Austin because we feel that we do have a, uh, we do have a point to prove. 
Um, and, you know, on paper, the reality is, and, and, and I've, I've heard a few of the Texas posts and the Texas blogs, and, and I get it from a, from a perspective on the Texas side is you are expected to win. I mean, it's natural. You, you recruit four and five star athletes. You're the richest program in America. You've got the fan base, all this stuff. You're going to have a hundred thousand people in Dow K Royal field. It's expected. But at the same time uh, for us, we kind of want to be the spoilers of the party. We want to crash the party. Right. And uh, right. I mean, for us, I mean, especially for me, Josh and Matt, we've talked about it. This seems to on our end, one of those games where we will have to play mistake free football, but also um, we can't allow Texas to run away with it either. Right. Um, we played a game that's very similar. We played Mississippi state in the Superdome to start the 2019 season. Mm-hmm. And we ended up losing by 10. It was a touchdown game till about 20 seconds left when Mississippi state kicked the go ahead field goal to go up by two scores. Right. But then we turned the ball over five times that day. And you, you know, can't, they scored, can't turn the ball over five times. Uh, they scored 20 something points off of our turnovers. So right. like we look back and we're like, well, hell we could have won the game. Right. Um, I guess that's that. what I'm saying is in a game like this for us, uh, we feel that we can hang with Texas. We feel that if it's close in the third quarter, maybe we could, you know, pull away yeah. if possible. Um, but, you know, we're realists too. I mean, I, it's like I was telling my dad, he's like, can we be, uh, can, he goes, can we be Texas? I said, yeah. But for at sure. the end of the day, it's still Texas, right? Yeah. Which Texas team is going to show up? That's kind of the question, you know, and, well, and are that, we going to show up? Right. That's, I think y'all will show up. And, but that's what this new coaching staff and new hire has given me a little bit more confidence in because with the old staff, uh, old coaching, that you, you, it was, you're right. You never knew which Texas was going to show up. It was basically whoever, whatever team, whatever level they were at is what Texas, what level Texas showed up at. If they were a top five team, a top five Texas would show up and make it close. If they were a unranked uh, four loss team, Texas might, might let them come back at the end. Like it. So uh, yeah, Tom Herman used to like to do that. He liked to play down to his opponent or play up to his opponent. Um, I think, I think the best comparison of that was Charlie Strong beats Oklahoma and then loses to Kansas. And you're like, what? Who, what is right, this? Who does that? <laughs> like, how does that happen? <laughs> yeah, and, and then like uh, Tom Herman, like uh, he had he had four losses after leading at, a ha- at the half, four or seven losses by a field goal, ten losses to ranked opponents, thirteen losses by one score. Um, I mean, I. It, it was all those type of weird coaching decisions that you question at the end of the game. You're like, if we would have just not punted that one time with two minutes left, why, it would have been a we would have won. Like, why did we do that? Like, and when you stack three or four of those in a season, you're looking at yourself every season. Like, why why do we keep doing this? So, uh, I'm glad um, we have a fresh coaching staff. Usually, it's a bad thing, but I think it's we're in better hands for the future, for the present. I think I think it'll be close uh, at least in the first half. Hopefully. We run away with it. That's my goal. We, Texas has not run away with anything in a long time. Like, we, you don't see those games anymore. So, I'm hoping with the staff, there will be literally all gas and no breaks. So, I got a question about the all gas thing sure. before we get off, but that's not the question now. My question, <laughs> my question here is this. You're a stat guy. I love that. I love to talk stats on the pod. Is there something... Have you have you been have you had the opportunity to dig into our football team, our roster, maybe some production from last year? If you have, mm-hmm. has there been a stat that is it's that stands out to you that strikes you as extremely impressive, 
maybe not so as impressed as impressed as you may be for a ranked team. Maybe talk to us about something you found about our team that maybe we're glossing over that you guys are no, are noticing and uh, we should be aware of it. Um, I think I don't really I can't remember the exact numbers or anything, but I I saw somewhere that y'all were pretty good on on rushing. I think I, don't, I, I can't remember if this was y'all or someone else, but y'all are pretty high up there in the nation on rushing yards per game. Could be someone else. But um, I remember seeing that and thinking, oh, that's good because Texas actually does well against the run. Or we, we, we're where we lose points, lose yardage is when they, the deep throws, we, and when in the Big 12, every team does that to us. Um, and so I was, I was looking to see, oh, do y'all pass more? Are y'all big passers? Are y'all big rushers? Um, I think you're more heavy on the rushing, which I thought was a good thing for us. Um, since our DL so stacked, um, I do have a funny fact about about the raging Cajuns. Let's hear it. Well, I got I got to pull it up real fast. Hey, and just to let it, to let you know, we've been in the top ten in the nation in rushing several times over the last what Jerry decade. I mean, we've we've been a and it was y'all then. Okay, we've been yeah. a very good rushing yeah. team for a very long time. We've been pretty stacked at running back since probably 2010, and maybe I mean, yeah, both before of- that. Both both of our running backs last year, and and luckily for you guys, they're gone. Um, they're both in the NFL right now, and then the guy before him who started also plays in the NFL. So we've had some NFL running backs over the last decade, at least four or five guys who've gone pro. Yeah, but yeah. So I mean, yeah. That I mean, that's great for that's great for y'all, and I think that's great for us. Um, if y'all had a bunch of star wide receivers, I would be a little bit more scared. Um, because we've always just uh, been kind of flaky on on that coverage, so I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> we got a couple okay, of guys so. that can catch some passes, but I, I will tell you this: while you're looking up that stat, uh, yeah. or well, I'll ask you this: if you were able to watch the Iowa State game, did it concern you as a Texas fan that they basically quit with seven minutes <laughs> left in a football game? I mean, that was a little bit. I was surprising to me. Oh, you talking about Louisiana, uh, Iowa State? Yeah, the Cajuns and Iowa yeah, State. Yeah, yeah, that, I, I was very, I was like, why are they giving them the ball? I'm okay, whatever. Yeah, I, I mean, I was, I was happy because I was like, oh, Texas needs a win this season, so count that one for Iowa State. So I was, I was happy with it. I didn't care, um, but I wasn't thinking for the future. Like, oh, um, well, actually, I was. Once Iowa State beat us and played for the conference championship, I was like, well, crap. We couldn't beat Iowa State. Louisiana beat Louis, uh, Iowa State, and now we got to play Louisiana next. And I was like, hope, hopefully their, their return production won't be that high. And then I look, and you're number three in the nation on returning production. I'm like, oh, cool, awesome. <laughs> and then with a brand new coaching staff, I was like, oh, throw that in there too. Sorry. There's a lot of good storylines, man. They really are. <laughs> okay, I found it. Okay, Louisiana is one in sixty-eight against teams that are currently playing in the SEC. That that's a that's a 1.4 win percentage. That one win is against Texas A&M. I was there. That All was right. a 96. You guys hate Texas A&M. Right? Yeah, that, that should make you happy, okay? That one <laughs> win. <laughs> Anything against Texas A&M, I'm all for. <laughs> I love it. So I, I was seven years old, uh, and we were at the game, and believe it or not, we had – look, at Texas A&M had some talent. We had some talent. We had uh, Jake DeLomas, quarterback. 
Brandon Stokely, a wide receiver. The late Kenyon Cotton played for the who played for the Baltimore Ravens at running back. Um, and then Texas A&M, I think, had Andre. Um, I think Andre Hall. They had that win. Um, I think Keith or Kevin Mitchell played linebacker for the Saints. Albert Connell at wide receiver. Um, they had a lot of NFL talent on that field that night. And the Cajuns, I think, forced like eight turnovers. Um, and what's funny is I think we sacked their quarterback, Brandon Stewart, who was a transfer from Tennessee, sacked him like six times. Two years later, he's playing in the Sugar Bowl against Ohio State. And I just remember my dad and I were at the game, and it's crazy because we're watching AM play in the Sugar Bowl. And just two years ago, we're at Cajun Field watching the Cajuns take them down. So it was, uh, it was a really neat experience. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, I, I love weird things like that. And I, if it's against a I'll usually find it. See, that was the cherry on top. It was. And look, it was good. It was good. I, I, I got to laugh out of that, I'll be honest. Uh, <laughs> Kyle, you've been great, man. We really appreciate you joining us. We do this Behind Enemy Lines segment every – when football comes around, every time we have an opponent, we get somebody on the line. We really appreciate yeah. you doing that for us. My last yeah, question is – Love the, to be here. Okay, sure. Yeah, my last question is the all-gas thing. I would, I would love to get a hold of you guys' promotional person and ask them, did they consider flatulence in that PAMP campaign? And also, <laughs> did they realize that that might be misconstrued as gas bag full of shit type stuff? I mean, like, you could go a bunch of ways with it. So, yeah, I'm just having a little bit of fun. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think they, they may have thought of that, and that's why they're so heavy on, like, putting cars in all the, <laughs> all the posters and stuff, just to make sure everyone knows. Talking about cars, guys. This is what we mean here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, Y'all actually are a lot of fun to talk to. So anytime you need me back, happy to do it. Well, Kyle, thank you so much, my friend. And tell us where we can find you on Uh, social media. Yeah, yeah. On Twitter, it's at Kyle Umlang. Um, Or if you just Google me, Kyle Umlang, you'll find me somewhere. Okay. Good deal. Thanks, Kyle. Appreciate you, buddy. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. You too. Good luck. <laughs> you know, had to do. A, a lot of people don't really care about that. It, it, it's weird. I, I like. <laughs> I think. I think Oklahoma has been done really well at like promoting this like false narrative that we cry about it or we're upset about it, and somehow it's spread throughout the entire nation that we get upset about it. Well, I, I don't. I, I'll, I'll never get it. I think it became a problem when they wanted to throw a penalty on somebody. What, what, what happened with that? I, I honestly, I don't know. I don't know who started. I don't know if it was Big 12 or Tom Herman hinting at the Big 12 they need to do something, but it was, it was a Big 12 decision, not a Texas decision. So I'll stay, I'll our, stay by for, that. And for our listeners, Josh just did the horns down uh, symbol. So. Real dick move. Real dick move. Look, I got to do all kinds of stuff here. I'm drinking. It no, is what it is. Do, Kyle, do, Kyle. do whatever you need to do to help. Hey, we'll see you in Austin, <laughs> man. I'll Austin. be out there to, okay. uh, to uh, watch the game. So. Uh, awesome. Thanks for having us, or, well, thanks for coming on with us, and we'll yeah. see you soon. Okay. See you guys. Thanks, thanks, Kyle. See ya. All right. All right, Jerry. That was good. Let's go to a break. Cool, man. I'm doing the sub thing. I'm not as smooth as Matt. I got way more respect for him. We'll be back. <laughs>
Chris Russo of Russo Exploration encourages you to donate to the Raging Cajun Athletic Foundation. The RCAF, the official fundraising arm of Louisiana Athletics, supports over 400 student-athletes across 16 NCAA sports. You can invest in the RCAF today for as little as $5 a month. Just go to myrcaf.org to get started or call 337-851-RCAF. As always, donations to the RCAF are tax-deductible. Your investment today will enrich the lives of of every athlete that puts on the vermilion and white. Go Cajuns! Welcome back, everybody. We're going to continue behind enemy lines with our next guest to uh, always... Thank you, for, thank you for the sponsors that uh, keep Raging Review running. But right now, we're going to speak to Mr. Gerald Goodrich of the Longhorn Republic podcast. He was gracious enough to join us. And without further ado, here's the man. Thank you guys for uh, having me on. I appreciate it. Matt, uh, Matt Miguez was on our podcast over the summer. And so I figured it was time to return the favor. Absolutely. And listen, this is our favorite segment. We talk about this all the time. You know, Jerry and I kind of, we, we grew up in the message board uh, golden age where it kind of became a thing. You know, the, the, the message board voice uh, kind of like found its place. And I, I always would take umbrage to the fact that people would say, you know, message boards are dumb. And look, there's a ton of bullshit on message boards. Don't get me wrong. I understand that. <laughs> But there's also some good banter, and there's also some good information, and I think the heart of the fan is on the message board. So when you really look at 2021 and where we've come um, from just the way we interact with each other as fans, as people, uh, the message board has a place in the lexicon of, you know, going back and forth with another fan base, especially a couple of days before game day. Um, And, look, the podcast community is another thing that we – of course, it's close to our heart, but we kind of try to promote it as much as possible because we think that there's great information in those folks that decide to take it upon themselves to sit in front of a microphone and talk about something that they're passionate about. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I'm like, like I said, I'm, I'm really glad to, to be a part of it. I appreciate you. I'm a firm believer that like the message boards have just turned into Twitter at this point. Like, I feel like everything that was on the message boards, everybody just has a Twitter handle now and they <laughs> jump in. And, and, and again, I, I love, you know, I, I have a broadcast journalism degree from, from the university of Texas. I did a radio show in college. And so like, this is like, I love this. I've been doing this for, you know, longer than I'd care to admit at this point, but I love it. It's absolutely a good time. Um, and I'm excited to excited to be a part of it. I'm glad to, to chop it up with you guys tonight. Good, man. So near and dear to your heart, happy to hear that. And you can already tell that you've got some bona fide. So if you don't mind, just let our listeners know um, kind of your background, where you come from, where did this passion really start? When did it start? And uh, what, what's, you know, what's to come? Yeah, so I, uh, like I said, I, I went to the University of Texas. Uh, I'll just say the early 2000s, early to mid-2000s, uh, when, uh, you know, the, I, I've 
gone. I've said that like I, I was on campus for the best decade of Texas football because I got the tail end of Vince Young and then all of Colt McCoy because I did a victory lap. It's fine. It is what it is. Uh, but I fell in love with the University of Texas um, when I, I was. I remember I grew up playing football. You know, you, you grew up in Texas, and so that's what you do like Saturdays, Sundays, Friday nights, all of that. Uh, and so I fell in love watching a Red River game. Derek Johnson uh, was one of my favorite players. I played de- I played defensive tackle, but he was a linebacker. It is what it is. Uh, but one of my favorite players loved watching him play. Fell in love. Got admitted to the University of Texas by the skin of my teeth, um, and then ended up in the broadcast journalism school because I just never have been able to shut up. That was always my problem. I got in trouble for it in school. Uh, so I did that, got my degree, had the awesome opportunity to be the sports director at the, the university TV station for a year. I also did a radio show during my time there with some of my buddies. Came up, moved to Oklahoma City to cover Oklahoma State uh, athletics, cover the Oklahoma State Cowboys for a couple of years. Uh, got stuck in Oklahoma. I say got stuck, met my wife, had some kids like for good reasons, right? (laughs) Like good things happened to me in Oklahoma uh, in spite of all the things I said growing up and and as a student about the state, good things happened here. Uh, And so about five years ago, I got the opportunity to join uh, Burn Orange Nation, the SB Nation site uh, as a blogger. And I was also, I was also doing like a little like nerd podcast with one of my buddies and BON wanted to launch a podcast. And I was like, Hey, I've done it before. I'll do it for you. You don't have to pay me any extra. I'll just do it. Uh, and it's it's been an opportunity to, to do that now. This is our fifth season, which is absolutely insane. Uh, and I'm still in love with it. Very nice. So you said you were there during the Vince Young era, the end of the Colt McCoy era, which pretty much, I would say that is pretty much the golden age of Texas football. Uh, yep. I mean, obviously Texas has a lot of history with good football, even decades before that, you know, Earl Campbell, you name it, right? Yeah. 60s and 70s. But um, talk a little bit about that stretch. Uh, I remember when I was in high school, that was the 2005 season, uh, yep. pretty much the greatest year of Texas football. And of course we all know what happened in the end, debatably the best college football game in history, Texas, USC and the Rose bowl for the national championship. Um, I remember that season because as a Cajuns fan, we played you the first game and, it wasn't so pretty for us. For y'all, it was great. It was, you know, blowout. But for us, not so much. But I just remember going into that game or after the game thinking, okay, this team is really good and they're going to be a top five team. Um, and that was coming off a Rose Bowl win the year before against Michigan. But um, talk a little bit about that season. Talk a little bit about that, um, that game in Pasadena. Personally, I wasn't really a big fan of USC back then. I got tired of the hype about them as good as they were, they were playing in the PAC 12, their schedule was meh, right. Compared to the teams, Texas had to play. And I hate to admit it. I was a little bit of a, of a Louisiana state Homer somewhat. I hate to admit it here on this podcast growing up, but I was always a Cajuns fan through and through. Um, Josh is giving me the, the death stare, but because <laughs> of that, say I that on this I mean, we've been over I'm this sorry. with Matt. You cannot say that on this, this was, podcast. But this was almost 20 years ago as a kid. I, I learned my lesson. Yes, I learned my Jerry, lesson. we're all young but and dumb and naive. I we're understand. all young and dumb. But uh, at know. the time, it made me not like USC too much, not because of that, but because I just got tired of hearing how great they were playing a bunch of nobodies. Um, talk a little bit about that season and that game what do you remember did you get to go what what, when Vince Young scored on fourth and goal what was your reaction I want to hear about this 
Yeah. So it's funny you ask that. They're actually doing like a three-part documentary series on it right now on Longhorn Network. It's actually playing, I think, as we're recording. Uh, I've got it. I'll watch it on demand later, which is exciting. Uh, But that whole, that season just felt different. Uh, Like I was there for, I was the 2004 year, the year before that was my freshman year. And so I got to experience like that season. And there was the like all time, like the Oklahoma state all time, great comeback. Texas came back from like 29 points at halftime. And just, I was at that, I almost left that game. I was like, let's, let's just get to the party early. This is dumb. I don't want to be here. And the old lady, I'll never forget the old lady in front of me. was like, don't leave. They're going to come back. And then as Cedric Benson scored the go ahead touchdown, she looked at me and said, aren't you glad you listened to me? I'll never forget that it was the greatest moment of my life uh but like that 2005 season just felt different you know you you have one of those years that um you just things feel special and you have a group a group of guys that you know that national championship was really like the 2001 recruiting class was really what that national championship was 0102 one of the best offensive line groups that's ever been on campus and then they recruited vince young who is i think based on the 247 composite, like tied for the greatest player of all time, or one of the greatest players of all time. Uh, and so you just, you knew that something was special. You know, Vince almost gave us the kiss of death at the end of the the first Rose Bowl because he said, we'll be back, knowing that the national championship was there next year. And, and you know, you you watch the games and you're there and it's just, you, you see this team and I, I'll be honest, like, I love that Louisiana game when it happened because like, this is great. Like we can get out of here early. We can go hit sixth or whatever and have a good time. But um, that, that national championship game kind of like you, I was, we'd spent weeks hearing about this, this USC team is the greatest team of all time. And they've got so much talent and, you know, Reggie Bush won the Heisman. And there was this moment where Reggie Bush and Matt Leonard are hugging each other at the Heisman ceremony. And you see Vince Young over his shoulder with like the, it just got real look on his face. And I think at that moment, everybody in Austin was like, we're going to win this thing. Like we're going to go in there and we're going to win this thing. Cause VY is not going to let anything happen. Um, and really, like, for me, the things that stick out are some of the defensive plays. Uh, Lendell White had been absolutely murdering Texas for that entire game. They prepared for Reggie Bush. Reggie Bush was not really a massive factor throughout the whole thing. Lendell White went off. And so there was – USC was trying to run out the clock. It was a fourth and short, and Texas just came up big. They pulled up, stopped him. And that was when, like, I knew. It was like, if Texas gets the stop, they're going to win the game because there's no way you give Vince Young the ball back at this point, and he doesn't win. And so when, when they stopped Lendell White, I was like, all right, we got this. And I was, I'd been at the coast with my buddies were in Galveston and we were, you know, we were a little, um, other minded. We're a little inebriated at that point. Um, I, I I can admit this now, 20 years later, almost that like, I was nervous the whole, whole day. That's why I got, had so many keystones, but it's fine. Uh, But (laughs) you you just like, I knew when they got that stop that it was going to happen. I didn't think it was going to happen in the dramatic fashion it did. And so that was just kind of the conclusion of everything that Vince Young's career had been building to in that point. And so there was, you know, we, we, the touchdown happened and my friend who actually was an A&M grad was like losing his mind too. And so it's just a really incredible time. It's one of those moments where like, you're just glad you got to be a part of it. I'm, I'm glad you guys brought that up because that was the most iconic national championship game that I can remember. You know, I mean, what was that? You know, just getting out of school. I mean, that that game is iconic in so many ways. There are, for whatever reason, I can remember moments in that game. Uh, but I, w- I don't want to get too far into that. But outside of that, <laughs> outside of the national championship game, I basically blocked out 2005 because of our football season. I have this strange ability to be able to block out <laughs> me getting my ass kicked. So, yeah, I don't really remember a lot of that game. I, I remember, I think we went up 7-zip, right? 
And then after we, that, just got trucked. We kicked a field goal. It was like six. I think Texas went up two field goals. They went two field goals, and we kicked the field goal. And then after that, we didn't do. I don't think we barely crossed the fifty. I mean, it was just we matriculated the ball down the field in the first corner. I remember that. <laughs> right. And outside of that, no, I don't that remember. was it. But that uh, was it. Anyway, uh, so Gerald, I want to ask: Have you how much homework have you been able to do on the Cajuns? And you know, what is your impression? Without getting too specific just yet. What is your overall impression about the game on Saturday? I I hate being like I hate feeling good about football games. So I actually I actually feel okay about Saturday because I don't feel okay about Saturday. <laughs> like it's it's a complete crapshoot, especially with Texas installing a new system. Have you know the third new system in three or third system in three years? Right. It's like that's never a great thing. It kind of negates all the experience you have on either side of the ball. Uh, I, you know, I'm Levi Lewis is a guy who I think can absolutely go off and light up Texas. Texas uh, in the last couple of years has struggled with dual threat quarterbacks like. There's a lot of there's a lot of unknowns. I think um, there are some matchups that I think Texas could possibly exploit uh, offensively, and you know the Texas offense versus the Louisiana defense. But I really think uh, this is going to be a good test for both squads, and I really do think that. Um, if if the Longhorns can come out and play really well, uh, there's a lot of chatter about Texas being overrated once again. So I really think there's uh, they have an opportunity to show that they're not you know the same old Texas. But again, new coach, new season. We, I have no clue how it's going to turn out. What are the expectations with Steve Sarkeesian? Um, you know, he's got a 46 and 35 overall record as a head coach. He was the offensive coordinator under Nick Saban at Alabama. He's got a really good resume. Um, but then all of a sudden you had, you know, recently, you know, Tom Herman had the same expectations. He had a really good resume, did a great job at Houston. Charlie Strong was the up and comer out, out of, out of Louisville. Um, and so, you, you, I, you had a pattern with those two coaches. And, of course, Mac Brown solidified himself as probably one of the best coaches, if not the best, that at, at Texas had ever seen. So it's hard to fill those shoes. But then you, you make these hires with these up-and-comers, and then all of a sudden they kind of fizzle out. And now you're in kind of that same mode. But yet Steve Sarkeesian is a, is a good coach. I, are, are fans hesitant? Right now, is there optimism because he just had recent success at Alabama as a coordinator? What's the vibe? Like, because it's kind of one of those things that's like, okay, I'm excited, I'm optimistic, but then we've been here before, right? What, 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 what are you feeling right now with, with Sarkeesian and, and, and his new staff? Overwhelmingly, Texas fans are Kool-Aid drinkers. And I use that in the in the original sense of the term where they will buy into the the new coach hook, line, and sinker and we'll find out if it's poison later. Like that's, that's something that a lot of fans, a lot of fans are excited about. And, you know, Charlie strong was in a, it was put in a bad situation. I think as we look back, the cupboard was way more bare than we initially knew and thought. And so come to find out like, there was there wasn't a ton of talent. There wasn't a ton of developed talent. There's you know I'll I'll say this now. Mac Brown is an incredible coach, incredible man. But I think he and his staff kind of got lazy towards the end of their tenure in Austin, and so things just kind of slipped. So Charlie Strong was put behind the eight ball and had was dealt a really crappy hand. Tom Herman, on the other hand, there's a lot that you could say about Tom Herman. He's not necessarily the the most likable guy, which I think costs him a lot, especially with Texas high school football coaches. And I think there's a lot that um, he thought he was the smartest person in the room, which is the last thing a good leader should do. So like, that's one of those things that you, that you struggle with, with, with Tom Herman. But again, 
Again, one of the things that I, I like to point out, and Texas fans got, got my mentions one time, like if Texas plays a full season last year, they had two very winnable, three very winnable non-conference games canceled, and can, the Kansas game didn't happen. So if Texas plays its full 12 games, Tom Herman probably can win 10 or 11 games it with this roster, with basically the same roster they have now. And so they don't like hearing that because it like challenges their perception that Tom Herman was just a failure, but he didn't, he didn't really get fired for his performance on the field. He got fired because he pissed off all the wrong boosters and he was frustrating the high school coaches. And so that, that happens, right? That that's part of the university of Texas. I think it was Steve Sarkeesian. The thing that is going in his favor is that he's, he seems like he's like a genuine person, which is something that, that Tom Herman didn't have going for him. He rubbed all the people the wrong way. He kind of had this air about him and Sark, you know, because of I think the personal struggles he's had has really had to reconcile who he is and who he wants to be and so that allows him to be really genuine and connect with people on a genuine level so I think that's a big advantage for him but I think the fans are excited I think the fans got really excited about what he did at Alabama last year and you have to temper your expectations with the fact that yeah Texas has a lot of talent you know when you look at like the 247 blue chip ratio they're right up there with like Clemson and, and Ohio State and I'm not Ohio State but like Clemson and uh, you know teams that are recruiting really really well but the talent that Alabama has is like way far above what, what Texas has. So I think fans are excited. We're cautiously optimistic. We've been hurt before, you know, it's like you find a new boyfriend or girlfriend and you, you've been hurt before. So you're a little cautiously um, going into the first couple of dates. And I really think this Saturday will, will cement for a lot of people how they feel about Steve Sarkeesian. I think it's a great point about his personal trials. It, it made him human. And, you know, there was some ugly things said about Sark and, any everything leading up to those revelations, if you will, was pretty positive about him overall. And, you know, it was tough to see a guy like that go through that. But, you know, I mean he brought it upon himself. It is what it is. I understand all that. But I think this this, you know, kind of resurrection of his career, uh, I think he went about it the wrong way. He took a demotion. I mean, the guy went and he took a job where honestly he was overqualified for. I mean, I think I think that that's not too much of a of a you know whatever, uh, a hot take. I mean, I, I think the guy was overqualified to be the OC over there. And I think that, look, Saban spits out some quality assistant coaches. So, I mean, look at us. We've, we've got one, you know, <laughs> one of the best in the country. And uh, I, I don't know. I, Sark, for me, you know, Jerry mentioned his overall record, and it's not anything that's going to jump out at you, but he had some particularly difficult circumstances in a lot of those stops. Uh, I'm not going to give him a pass, but at the same time, I understand. You know, I can see both sides of it. Uh, is is the Austin fan, and, and you mentioned it about, you know, being cautiously optimistic. What is the attitude as far as this season? Sure, I, I want you to comment on this season, but going forward, is this a, look, we're starting a, a redshirt freshman quarterback. We're kind of building for the future. A lot of youth on the offensive side of the ball. Is 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 it cautiously optimistic because he has a little bit longer of a leash where I think maybe Tom Herman came in and said, hey, uh, we want you to win in two years? Uh, or, or is Sark going to have a little bit more time? Uh, just maybe talk to me about that. Texas fans are very far from rational, honestly, like at, at any turn of the imagination. Trust so. me, any glance at the, the, the media, digital media, on any type <laughs> of internet platform is, is very, very <laughs> you've got proof of that. Yeah, I think part of part of what's going to be his saving grace is that he's putting together a pretty solid recruiting class. I think they had 
four defensive line commits in the last three days that ended up vaulting them into the top six. I think they're number six right now. And they've got some other high profile. So like that's, that's how Tom Herman stayed around is because his first three recruiting classes were absolutely incredible. And so he was able to get by on talent alone. I think um, the expectations for, for Sark, I think are not a, I don't think fans expect this to be a rebuild because two years ago, Tom Herman won 10 games last year. They probably could have won 10 games again if they played the full schedule. So there is a hope that he can get it going sooner rather than later, especially with his ability to kind of scheme his way into wins. Cause if you watch like what he did at Alabama last year, part of what he did really well and what excites me is the way that he schemed his players into position. It wasn't, I mean, obviously Alabama won on talent, but I think that offensive system works regardless of talent because if you look at what he did at washington the year before he got there they won a, a cool zero games and so his first year they were i think they won five games his first year so he went from zero wins to five wins in a year with again the talent they had at washington and so i think that's the type of stuff that uh, has fans cautiously optimistic and when you've got a young when you've got a coach who's early in his career and you've got a, a redshirt freshman quarterback who's got three issues and he's a hometown hero as well he's a lake travis kid so he's a he's an austin kid he's a texas guy texas like we're just recycling you know storylines you know hot shot offensive minded coach local quarterback a very different player from sam ellinger which i think is going to work well for this offense but i think the leash is probably going to be the same i think and it all depends on on I think the problem with Tom Herman and why fans got so frustrated with him towards the end is because he's supposed to be this offensive genius and the offense crapped the bed and all three of the losses. He should have beaten Oklahoma last year. Spencer Rattler gets benched in the first half and you can't go into the halftime with a lead. Like what the heck, right? They absolutely crapped the bed against TCU. They absolutely crapped the bed against Iowa state. Like both, all three of those games were infinitely winnable if the offense hadn't sucked. And so when you hire the offensive genius and the offense is losing you games, the, the leash gets pulled. And so I couldn't tell you what the expectations are. My, like my expectations are, I think he can get it turned around. I say turned around, can keep the ship floating in the right direction relatively quickly. He's got the advantage of three really good Tom Herman recruiting classes. He's got a lot of good talent. There are some, you know, we can talk about specific positions, but like the wide receiver room needs some love. I think the edge positions need a little bit of love in recruiting. And that's why, you know, he hires a guy like Bo Davis who, for better or for worse, you know, he, he did some, he did some dirt in his previous stops and that's fine. It is what it is. But like, he's also just a great recruiter without paying kids or whatever it was. Right. So, um, so that's why you hire those guys. He, he built a staff that is a good mix of recruiters and developers. And so I think if you see the players actually improve and develop, then I think the leash gets longer. I think, you know, four or five years is a good expectation to see Texas competitive. I think that's, that's, they don't, I don't think Texas fans expect to win the national championship every year, but they should at least be in the conversation. My, my expectation in four years is that, you know, whoever, whoever wins in Dallas between Texas and OU is in the conversation for the national championship. Like that's how it should be. That's how it was my entire time in school. And I think that's what fans expect. You know, it's funny you say about how you have the offensive minded coaches, Steve Sarkeesian, and then you have uh, Hudson Card from Lake Travis. That is the most Texas storyline I've ever heard. Okay. I have to laugh because, you know, everybody in Texas, everything's Texas, Texas, hook them horns, oh, yeah. everything's bigger in Texas. They got a lot of pride. And that's, and it's a great thing. It's a great thing. The people of Texas have a lot of pride in their state. They have a lot of pride in their culture. They have a lot of pride in their football. So if, I mean, you can't top a storyline like that, right? 
Um, you know, I, with that said, with Hudson Clark coming in as a freshman, we all saw what Casey Thompson did in the bowl game last year against Colorado. Um, you know, I, I was surprised that he didn't get the start just because Thompson has more experience. Um, with with Hudson Card getting named the starter, what is – and obviously we're fans. We can talk about it. We can play a little bit of yeah. Monday morning quarterback here. What are the fans' reactions to that? Uh, mainly because you've already seen what Thompson can do. You've got a, a, a redshirt freshman coming in as a starting quarterback. Now, granted, he's got some help with B. John Robinson. The receiving core is a little bit young, but, you know, they can, they can kind of mold as, as time goes on, right? And, of course – Texas has a great defense, a great defensive line. They've got a very veteran-laden secondary. So I think this year we're going to see more, a little bit more moxie from the defense, I would say, just because of veteran talent. But what what has been the fan reaction and what has been the reaction from even from yourself of Hudson Card getting the start over Casey Thompson? Yeah, I think for me, my opinion has always been like anybody that came out of the spring game with an opinion about who the quarterback should have been, had an opinion going into the spring game because they didn't really separate in the spring game. Nobody really saw much different between them, especially when they were running with the ones, the guy who was running with the ones played better, which is usually how that type of thing goes. I think there are a lot of people that were surprised that Casey Thompson getting the nod, but not like a shock surprise was like, Oh, I was expecting to go the other way because we, the last thing we saw in real meaningful football was Casey Thompson just absolutely going off on Colorado which you have to take with a grain of salt because that Colorado defense was basically a bag of like wet gym socks like they were not a good defense at all so like you have to be cognizant of the fact that like that defense is just just terrible one of the worst defenses they played all year and so like there's that in that and so the the one thing I do appreciate about the Texas fan base is there's a lot of like this is our guy he's our guy who whoever I was cheering for in the quarterback race he didn't, if he won, if he didn't win, we're getting behind our guy. And that's one of the things I really appreciate about it. And it makes it easier that again, Hudson card is this hometown guy. He, there's like, you know, he has like this legendary game where he was out all year with an injury, came back for one playoff game and threw for like 300 yards and absolutely roasted a team. And that was like his last high school game. So it was one of, one of those things where um, he's got like this legend going with him, which is cool. And it works for him in his favor. And again, that's one of the things that I appreciate about Texas fans is that once we have our guy, they're going to, we're going to be in the corner, no matter who it is. If it's, if Casey Thompson won, I think the conversation would be a little bit different just because there are, there are a lot of people that want to see the young guy get it, especially with a new coach, new system. They want to see the young quarterback get the reps. And for me, like if all things are equal, if both guys came out of camp on equal footing, you go with the younger guy because he's got a high ceiling, got a really high ceiling. And if he hits that ceiling, there's a lot. He was, you know, he was the second ranked dual threat quarterback in that class behind Bryce Young, who's going to absolutely murder at Alabama. I think the kid's going to be so good. Uh, and so, like he's a really high upside kid. And the thing that he does that I think Casey Thompson doesn't do is that I think he's got a little bit of gunslinger in him, which is concerning to me. He's, he's willing to make those. I, I always use the Brett Favre comparison where like, he's going to trust his arm maybe a little too much and throw it into some spots, which is good if you're trying to win a game, but it's also like, uh, you didn't need to do that. Hey, we're Saints fans. We're glad Brett Favre did that, okay? And, and we think go. about that NFC Championship game for the Vikings. It's a good thing he did that. That got us a Super Bowl. There you go. See? I love it. 
but I think he's he's got an opportunity to shine, and I think he's got an opportunity to really set himself up to be, you know, the guy for a couple of years. And Texas again, if Texas if he performs well, Texas fans will be in his corner. But like every program, the backup quarterback is always the most popular guy in town. When the team struggles, the backup quarterback is the always the most popular guy in town, and the defense. Defensive coordinator is always the least popular guy in town. So like, those are just the, the things that you have to be cognizant of in this conversation is like, if that's why the quarterback battles a struggle, because if he struggles in a game, well, they should have gone with, they should have gone with Casey. Maybe. I don't know. Sark, Sark got Mac Jones into the first round. So like, I'll trust the guy more than I'd trust you random Twitter guy. No, it's a good point. I mean, and it's true. And honestly, I think in this game, the quarterback situation is not even really the story. Honestly, I mean, like we don't know much about Hudson Card, and I know you guys have plenty of, of production and film and, and game experience from Levi, but I don't believe the Texas quarterback is the story of this game. If, if I told you the story of this game is the Cajuns' defense, their veteran leadership returning versus a Texas offense that is going to be new with a young quarterback and young receivers and running backs, I think that's the story. And if we want to start talking about position groups, we can do that all night long. But I think that I'm not even worried about Hudson Card. I'm not saying that he's not going to hurt the the Cajuns in the game. I just think that there's way more interesting matchups on the inside, especially at the line of scrimmage. I mean, like, first of all, we kind of talked about this with with Kyle Lumling, but you guys have a returning nose tackle that's going to go up against – our all-conference, all-everything center. And the line of scrimmage is going to be, and that's not breaking news, I understand that, but the line of scrimmage is going to be the tail of the game, in my opinion. So if you guys want to get into the nitty-gritty, we can. I just think that I'm the quarterback thing has been named and it's done and over with. At the same time, the name of the game is going to be who can hold their own at the line of scrimmage. And for me, that's going to mean, that means the Cajuns' defensive line against the Texas Longhorns offensive line. Would you agree? Yeah, I actually tweeted about it earlier that like if you're not paying attention to that matchup, then you're probably watching the wrong thing because the the Texas offensive line struggled early last year because you had a guy playing out of position, which cost both positions. Derek Kerstetter, the guy who's playing right tackle right now, played center for most of last year because Tom Herman and his staff had four you had a four-year starter at center and you couldn't figure it out to like who's his backup. So like figure that out that frustrated the fire out of me but it is what it is but anywho so Derek Kerstetter playing out of position at center cost Texas both at center and right tackle because Derek Kerstetter is honestly probably a late round NFL draft pick at right tackle he he might be what what you would normally consider like your day two guys back when you know we first started watching the NFL draft 15 years ago right the the rounds you know four five and six guys uh so like he's he's one of those guys that I think will make will probably have a cup of coffee in the NFL and so having him play at center cost them at both of those positions if you look at you know the kansas state game really where Bijan exploded onto the scene more or less that was really where kerstetter shifted back to the outside and then they brought in the the freshman uh jake majors at center who that that offensive line unit worked really really well and so you know i was I actually i'm an i'm an advanced stats guy like i'm a nerd I, I do spreadsheets sometimes at work and so like the the battle for me like louisiana struggled a little bit at the point of attack like they on i think it was like 49 percent of um 
of rushing plays, they gave up at least four yards. And so like, that's not a necessarily a great stat, especially when you're playing a team like Texas. And so I, Steve Sarkeesian said in the off season that he's going to get Bijan 20 plus carries a game. And so that's like the thing I'm watching is can the Texas offensive line with a lot of experience, you know, they've got four year starter at, at right guard four year starter at right tackle. They've got a two year starter at left guard. They've got a two year, they've got a two year starter at left tackle and they've got a, you know, a, um, uh, a, fr- a rusher at freshman at center so that's but he's also a high upside kid he almost he pushed for the starting spot at the start of last year so like that's the matchup i'm watching because if if Bijan gets going then i think texas could be in a really good position and that takes a lot of the pressure off of the young quarterback to to perform because if you know your all-world running back goes for a buck 25 and a couple of scores then things get a little bit easier for you in the other facets of the game I think what makes us curious as Cajun fans is when we played Brees Hall last season for Iowa State, he had about, I think he had right under 100 yards rushing. It was probably one of his worst performances. Now, granted, it was the first game of the season, but it's interesting. I think, I'll add on to what Josh just said. I think you're both right. I think the line of scrimmage is where this game is going to be won. Um, you, you know, on the other hand, you've got a UL offensive line that basically has started a combined, I think, 140 starts against a Texas front seven that is that is lethal. So it's going to be interesting to see the matchups at, at the line of scrimmage. I'm very curious to see um, how players are going to rotate and whatnot. I know the Cajuns for a G5 school do are two or three deep. So that's going to be a fun matchup. I think it's going to be a great test for both teams. Um, I guess my question is for you, uh, Gerald, uh, from a standpoint of Texas's offense, you know, Sark said he wants to give Bijan Robinson 20-plus carries. Obviously, we know why. <laughs> we see what he can do. Yeah. But let's say the Cajuns hold them. Let's say they do what they did with Brees Hall. What is Texas's offense? Like, what's the plan B of attack? Do they start throwing the ball? Do they start doing RPO? What are the other options outside of just giving the ball to Bijan? Yeah, so that's that's the question, is, is what does Texas do? Because they're relatively untested at wide receiver. You know, one of the starting wide receivers, true freshman Xavier Worthy, he's a kid, he – there have been all sorts of like ridiculously lofty comparisons. I'm not going to repeat here because he's 19. So like, let's not compare him to Jalen Waddle at this point until we've actually seen him (laughs) strap it up against other, other grown men wearing uh, different colored jerseys, right? Like let's leave those comparisons. But like Xavier worthy is a kid who, if he lives up to the billing, he could be a really lethal option. You know, he's, he's that six foot speedy guy that Sark loves to have that kind of creates weird matchups when he runs underneath. Cause a linebacker can't really keep up with him step for step. And is a little more physical than a lot of than Most other corners you see like UL's corners are really physical and big, which terrifies the mess out of me. Uh, one of the other starting receivers, um, Jordan Whittington is another one of those like Texas legends guys. He won both offensive and defensive MVP in a state championship game. So like, that's, that's the the guy who's been playing, but he's had injury issues. So can he stay healthy? Uh, And then Josh Moore's a guy who led the team in receiving last year, but hasn't really lived up to his lofty billing. He had some off, I guess, yeah, some off field stuff two years ago that kept him out. And so like, it's, that's the question. Like if Bijan doesn't get to what he, what we hope he gets to can, Hudson card, you know, meet capitalize on the talent. Can do these receivers live up to the billing? I, you know, my thought on this Texas team overall is I think the ceiling, the, the ceiling is really high, but where's the floor, right? Where, where's the floor? And that's, I think what we're going to learn on, on Saturday is if, you know, if the floor is higher than we expect, this could be a good season. If the floor is, you know, where it was last year, it, it may be a long season. 
And I think that comes into play when you're going to rely on guys that are that are young and inexperienced. So it, it's a good point. And I w- if I could push back just a little bit on the the rushing yardage, uh, it, it is a concerning stat. And look, we know we should have stopped the run better than we did. I will say this about that: Zion William, uh, Zion Hill is a bona fide NFL player for my money. Injured all, all last season. Chauncey Manack is a tackle monster. He eats up. Uh, blockers. He does everything well. He's fast enough. He's big. He wears on you. Injured most of last season. Big Sauce. His first real season of putting in effort hours, if you want to call it that. I mean, we relied so heavily on that guy for most of the season, and I think it wore on him because of lack of of Uh depth. You're going to see guys like Kendra Wilkerson. You're going to see guys like a, a Nelson. You're going to see guys, uh, you know, Sonny Hazard's probably not going to make the game, but he's another very good defensive lineman that we can run out there. I think the difference in this year's defense is going to be the depth at defensive line and the health of our frontline guys, one and two deep. Now, if I'm right on that, we've got a chance to stop Bijan, and we have a chance to, to kind of neutralize that Texas running game. If we're not able to cycle those guys in and out and stay healthy throughout the game and, and beyond, I think we'll struggle stopping the run as well. So, But I just wanted to point out that that is a big, big difference. Yeah. And another thing is that if we can rely on our corners to stop the passing game without having to zone or blitz, those guys are going to start sneaking up, especially when we start running our four, our four safety package. When they run that jack and that star, and we can sneak up in the, in the, uh, in the front, in, you know, start helping out the front seven. If that's happen, if that's going to happen, especially later in the game, I, I like the opportunity to stop the run, and that's where I think the Hudson card um, dynamic comes into play. If, if he's going to show that he can hurt you over the top, and let's be honest, the reason why Purdy wasn't respected is because we didn't we didn't respect the deep ball. He couldn't hit his man. You know, nobody respected yeah. his arm, and that's a that's a yeah, it's it's a poorly kept secret about uh, about uh, Purdy. Did I call him Zach Purdy? I'm sorry, Jerry. No, you, no, you he said Purdy. Right. Okay. He said Purdy. No, so yeah, Brock. Brock Purdy. Thank you. Uh, the, the, the secret is out, and I think Patrick Tony did a great job prepping for that game, and I think that he kind of exposed him a little bit because if you watch deep into the Big 12, they won games because of Charlie Kohler and Brees Hall and that offensive line. That's how they won games. Yep. Uh, but but I, I like the, I like the, um, the promise of this defensive line being healthy and deep. And, and that's that's the problem with the first game, right? It's like all sure. we have is like let's pull some stuff out from based on what last year was. Sure. And it's a completely different team, especially, you know, from the Texas side, completely different team. But like you mentioned, there were key players injured. I I, um, I you'd be naive to think that the, the Louisiana defense is going to be the same group. Now, now again, they were stingy in a lot of spots. I think they, they gave up like one point eight yards per play, which is a really good number. That's off there were some of the elite teams in the country. And so like there the defense was good. And so there's there's this question mark of like you're you're flying blind for game one. You don't really know. And even for the first couple of weeks, like you make your big improvements between week one and week two and week two and week three. And then you're basically who you're gonna be for the rest of the year. So sure. Like, I, and I and Jared, know. I'll point it's this out to too. I'll point this out too for you. It, I, to kind of push back on my point, we took the ball away better than usual last year. I mean, I, we, we had, I, I don't know, Jerry, I think we may, may have been in the top 15 in the country in takeaways. 
Uh, and that yeah. and that helped to cover up and mask some some issues that we did have. And and running stopping the run was one of those issues. Uh, we also struggled against scrambling quarterbacks. I mean that's true. You know McCall yeah. really made some plays. McCall from from Coastal Carolina really made some plays with his arm and his legs because we just couldn't contain late in the game. Um, I, again, it's a new season. It's a new team. You, you only can go off of what you saw. So I understand why we made the comparisons. And, of course, we got to talk about something, right? But I, I like <laughs> the promise of the team that we're taking to Austin. I That Louisiana is going to be – I mean, if you put Louisiana in the Big 12, they're probably one of the top four or five teams. In, in the conference right now, like wow, nobody's gonna touch it. Nobody's gonna touch OU. Like there's they're they're on a different stratosphere. Iowa State's a really good team, but I, I legit like they're they're better than Kansas. They're better than Kansas State. They're probably better than Baylor. They're you know they're they're one of the top te- they're one of the better teams Texas is gonna face all year. I honestly and this is this I hope there are no Arkansas fans listening. I'm more worried <laughs> about the Louisiana game than I am the Arkansas game. Like I just wow. that's that's where I'm at right now. Uh, simply because like. Losing the first game of a co- for a coaching staff of the season, kind of the plates start spinning way way sooner than they probably should. Um, I Arkansas's a rivalry game; they're way, they're going to be way more up for this than pro- most Texas fans don't remember when Arkansas was a rivalry, and like Arkansas fans still like because they haven't been good since then. Really, <laughs> uh, I still remember the Texas rivalry pretty uh, pretty violently is the best way to say it. And so I, again, I'm way more worried about um, how Texas comes out against UL because it's, it is, it is the storyline game and it's really going to shape a lot of what the, the, the Sark arrows. You think about Tom Herman's first, first game Maryland. set by Maryland. Right. Mm-hmm. So like it, and a lot of really, a lot of what happened in the Maryland game became kind of the story of Tom Herman at Texas, really good team. A lot of promise never lived up to it. And so this game has a lot riding on it from what the Sark era could turn out to be. And so that's why I'm really, really concerned. And I've got this, you know, I've got that, you got the butterflies, you got kind of that pit in your stomach feeling that you, you, uh, I appreciate it about sports. It's why sports are awesome and awful all at the same time. You know, this is like I've told you before, this is kind of like our Boise State moment, right? When Boise State played Oklahoma in the Fiesta Bowl. Um, you know, obviously it's not a bowl game. We, we have to go to Austin. It's a regular season game. But this is kind of Louisiana's chance to really show that the last two seasons aren't flukes. You go to Texas and you win. That's that's huge. Um like I said, I was at the game in 2005. Uh, the past two matchups between the Cajuns and the Longhorns have not been close. They haven't been respectable. Basically, the Cajuns go take their million-dollar check in Austin, take their spanking, and go home. This time, it's a little bit different. Perceptions change. The team, the program here at Louisiana has improved drastically. We've seen the administration put a lot of effort into investing in the program. We have uh, a head coach that is also a Saban disciple who is very familiar with Sark, very similar to Sark. And he's an up and coming coach. And recently we just gave him a pay raise. I think he's the third highest G five coach in, in America, which is something our administration never used to do. They're finally showing commitment and we're kind of enjoying that, you know, the results of that commitment. Um, for the first time in a long time, our fans truly believe that we can go to Austin and win. Um, I guess my question for you is, as someone who's been as loyal to UT, you said that we could be a top four team. Um, you said that we could be a competitor in, in, in the Big 12 as a whole. 
what is the, and we talk about message boards, but the people you talk to in your inner circle, the ones who are really knowledgeable about Texas football, what is the perception of Louisiana as a program? And I'm just trying to get an outsider's perspective looking in, especially from a respectable program like Texas. What are you guys feeling about, about the Cajuns? We are really upset that this is not the cupcake that we wanted it to be when this game was scheduled several years ago. That's the first thing. It's like we when you went back when they scheduled this, UL was not what what it is today. And so like that's part of the conversation. But I think anybody that really is paying attention knows that again, this is not your this is not the UL of my youth. This is not the the fifty six to, you know, whatever teams that, that Texas just kind of rolled it out there and was able to you know, play against with one anti-Batons back at this point. But like, I think the people that are in the know have the same questions I do. It's what is the offensive line going to do is can, can the defensive front hold up? Um, I think we're excited about the prospect of, you know, Louisiana needing to replace not one, but two running backs in that offense. That's very helpful uh, for a Texas defense that's trying to break in a new system. I, I think the the people that are really in the know and paying attention to this game know that UL is not a team you want to take lightly. If you go out there and think that the, the logo on the side of your helmet's going to win the game, you're going to get your ass kicked. And that's what happened you know, four years ago in Maryland. And it happened three years ago against Maryland. Like you go out there and you think the logo on your chest is going to win the game and you end up the, the message board laughing stock. You end up being the subject of memes for the next several years. And so the, I think people that actually know what the heck they're talking about, they know that Texas, if Texas, if it was, this game was played on paper, right? If this is just, you look at the recruiting rankings, you look at the guys on the roster, right. Texas should win this game, right? But, of course. but games aren't played on paper. They're not. And so I think people that know the sport and know the history of Texas as of the last 12 years or so understand that. If UL is going to come out and punch you in the mouth, they're going to give you their best shot. And if you can't take it, they're going to come in and take your cookies. And that's that thing. That's what a lot of people are very aware of. I absolutely love that so much. We're going to win. That's not been, we've not been able to say that around here very often. So you got to let us revel in it just a little bit there, Gerald. Everybody, Gerald Goodridge has been our guest, and we're going to get him out of here because he's got, you know, things to tend to, but we really appreciate him joining us. But before he does, we would love to get an official prediction from the Longhorn Republic podcast. Uh, uh, I hate predictions. That's it's, it's the thing I suck at the most. I love looking at stats. I suck, like It's why I don't bet because I would... I'd lose my home. I'd lose my mortgage betting if I was if I did it. Gun gun to my head, I think I think Vegas has it right. I really think this is a one touchdown game. I think my my gut says 35-28. I my my Texas fandom makes me pick Texas. So I think it's like a it's like a 35-28 game. I think the defense is gonna need some opportunity to get their feet underneath them. I think UL is gonna give everything they've got. And honestly, I wouldn't be shocked if it's tied going into the fourth quarter. I would not be shocked if this is a close game and that, you know. It might be a whoever has the ball last, whoever makes the last big play uh, wins the game. So I wouldn't, I think, I think Vegas has it right. I think it's a one score game. I think Texas probably comes out on top just by sheer force of recruiting, st- recruiting stars, maybe or talent or whatever it might be. But I think if UL comes out and hangs around, they have absolutely every ability to win this game. I love it. 
And Jerry knows that I, I put people on the spot and ask for a prediction because I don't do predictions because I think it's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> I just like to ask. I love it. But listen, Gerald, we really appreciate you taking the time, man. Look, if you're going to be out there at DKR on Saturday, please look me up. I'm happy to meet and visit, uh, maybe give you some Raging Review uh, koozies or shirts or whatever it is I'm going to be toting around. But we'll be out there. You know, it's it's a good time. It's fun. It's college football is back, baby. The fall is here. Back on the gridiron. It's a, it's the most wonderful time of the year for me. So, um, again, just really appreciate you taking the time and uh, let the people know where they can find you to listen to your content. Yeah, you can find us, Burn Orange Nation, on your podcast feeds, on the, the internet. I'm at, on Twitter, at G.H. Goodridge. The Twitter handle's at Longhorn Pod. I don't know how that was available, but it was, so we got it. So, yeah, at Longhorn Pod on Twitter. We'd love to, to have you as part of our group. Jerry, say bye. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Gerald. But I did before you go, I did want to ask one more thing, even though this would create a little bit of dialogue. Conference realignment, what do you guys think about being new SEC members in a couple of years? I think if Alabama moves to the East, I love it. That, that's my, my <laughs> biggest thing, right? If, Al, if Alabama ends up in the SEC East, I feel great about it. I feel significant. I think that's everybody that. in the SEC. I think they're all right. like, just go form your own division by yourself. We don't want nothing yeah. to do with you. <laughs> you know, I mean, the, the, if, they, if they keep two divisions, it would make sense geographically to move Alabama and Auburn to the East. I, maybe that's selfish because the SEC West isn't that great outside of like Alabama and Texas A&M. And, well, the top three teams, right, in the West are good, but it is... I, I thought it would be the Pac-12 in two-ish years is what my expectation was, but um, the SEC is where the money is. And so if, you know, unfortunately, that's what college sports is nowadays. It's like, where can we get the biggest paycheck? Thankfully, it's playing dividends on the recruiting trail. There's some kids that were very staunchly want to play in the SEC that just committed to Texas, partially because the SEC thing is probably going to happen sooner rather than later. I'm excited. I'm nervous. Again, I don't I would love to go 14 pods and like get the pod that's like Missouri and you know that that'd be great for me competitively because we'd feel good about it but you know there, there are a lot of unanswered questions well I'll tell you this good luck September the 11th and yes. it was awesome to have you on the pod my friend um thanks guys thanks for having me and continue success to your podcast and all your endeavors thanks Gerald absolutely thanks Gerald thanks fellas All right, that was Gerald Goodridge of the Longhorn Republic podcast, and he was good. That was a lot of fun. That was fun. Well done. Good stuff. Uh, Jerry and I will be back to talk about the depth chart and then let you guys go before game time. So uh, just hold tight. We'll be back. Acadiana business owners, are you looking for custom solutions from local professionals that understand your business needs? Maybe you're looking to streamline your processes, become more efficient, and achieve elevated peace of mind? Utilizing and combined 30 years of experience in the financial and technology fields, the Vaulted Security Team is ready to assist you with reaching your goals. From credit card processing, internet and phone services, website hosting and design, to hosted cloud, even digital marketing and recovery software, Vaulted Security can do it all. 
Here's a message from Solutions Specialist, Anna Bourgeois. Hi, I'm Anna Bourgeois, your Solutions Specialist, and it's my goal to understand how we can make your business run more efficiently while increasing profits. I'm very passionate about doing business genuinely. In the merchant services industry and other business areas, it's hard to find a partner that you can trust without question. I'm here to change that perception. Give me a chance to show you what true partnership is all about. Contact Anna today at 337-210-4272 or email Anna at Vaulted Security. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for sticking with us. Really appreciate you. Uh, I know it's a it's a little bit of a long podcast. We had to jam a lot in Texas game, you know, hurricane disasters and whatnot. It's a lot to talk about, lots to take in. So. Again, thanks a lot for staying with us and uh, putting up with me on the ones and twos. Old Matt, he does a good job. I mean, what can you say? What can you say? Yeah, but you've come in as a good substitute today, man. A good, It's like a second-string quarterback picking up from where the starter left off. Well, job well done. You know, a coach that we like and love and revere, always set, work while you wait. That's right. I was ready to step up when the time was right. You know, so amen to that, dude. Shout out to Matt, and uh, just want to continue to say he does a great job, and we appreciate him. So, last thing we want to cover on the pod before the game, just matter of hours away at this point, is the depth chart that finally came out. <laughs> About time. Thanks, right? Coach. <laughs> I mean, you know, we're sitting around. I'm staring at the computer, like refresh, refresh. I know it was due at like three or something, wasn't it? think so yeah it's usually wednesday before they release it so yeah it's definitely uh (laughs) well look we have it now so let's let's not not cry over spilt milk but uh anything jump out at you jerry not really i mean one thing that did jump out to me is it's it's a we're a veteran laden team Uh, a lot of familiar names a lot of familiar faces which i like because there's not many there's not many positions to be really concerned about i've said this all summer long the one position i'm concerned about a little bit is running back only because you just lost two guys who went to the NFL, sure. um, both Elijah Mitchell, who, by the way, congratulations to Eli, made the 53-man roster for the 49ers. And, of course, Trey Regis was now on the practice squad in, in, in Vegas. Uh, congratulations to both of them. But losing guys like that, it, it's a tough – it's tough. I mean, any G5 school or any school in general, losing two running backs to the NFL is, is hard. But you got a guy in Chris Smith who was an All-American last year. You've got Imani Bailey, who has tons of potential to do great things. We saw what he did in the spring game. Lots of lots of speed. Very, very shifty. And, of course, now the expectations. How about Montrell Johnson? Another one. A freshman. Highly spoken about in camp by Coach Napier, who's going to make some – he's going he's gonna to create some presence this year in the backfield. And, of course, T.J. Wisham, been around for a long time. He's going to do just fine as well. So – and a little bit of everybody's coming in, but it's hard, still hard to replace those two backs, uh, both Eli and Regis. But um, that's a position I'm really curious to look at and really study. I think, to be honest with you, Josh, um, as, hard as, it, as, hard, it is, as hard as it is to replace those two backs, these four guys I just mentioned, I think they're going to be fine uh, this year. I think by game three, game four, we're going to have a solid backfield. I just hope they're ready for Texas. It's the first game back. It's their first game really in the spotlight. I hope they can pick it up pretty quickly because we're going to need them to, right? You're not going to be able to beat Texas just by throwing the ball. You're going to have to run. So um, that's going to be the biggest question mark. That's going to be the biggest uh, position I'm going to look for this this Saturday is the running back position um, and see what they can do 
coming out of the gates with their with their brand new starts. And really, the the issue is just lack of experience, lack lack of game reps. We know that these guys are talented. We know it. We've seen it. We've right. seen it in practice. We've seen it in the spring. We've seen it in game in games. Correct. And we know that they're running against a senior laden, or well, I, I say senior laden, an experienced offensive line that knows how to road grade and they know how to open holes. And I, I think that that is going to give an extra level of confidence to our running backs, regardless of the amount of game reps. Um, so look, I, I just think it's an unknown thing, but I think we're fine. I, I, look at, look at the running back room over the last 10, 12 years for this school. You can say yeah. a lot of things about, you know, offensive line and defensive line, talent, quarterback, talent, et cetera, et cetera. One thing you cannot even begin to question is the talent that has come through this running back room, you know, go back to Elijah uh, McGuire and, and Zoe and everybody else that came through, even before that, you know, fin, uh, Terrell Fenroy and all those guys, you know, Deion Wallace, yeah, all these course. guys. I mean, for years we have been able to attract good running backs that can produce. So I, I think we're fine, but look, it's, it's still, when the lights come on, you got to be able to perform. My question, and I don't necessarily think this is a surprise or, or, I'm just kind of, I think it's a, a good conversation topic. Chris Smith is your feature back, but he's also still listed as your kick returner. Now, yeah. he's an All-American as a kick returner, so I get the move. What do you think about having your feature back as your kick returner? I think it's a little risky, um, but he's got the speed to do it. You know, I mean, Reggie Bush, now granted, I can't compare Chris Smith to Reggie Bush quite yet, but Reggie Bush was the same way, right? He was a kick return specialist and he was a starting running back. It really is a reflection of his talent. It's a reflection of the ability, his capabilities, as well as his potential. Um, we all knew Chris Smith coming in that he was a he was a speedster. I mean, he would just outrun everybody, looking like he was jogging. Now he's put on weight, he's put on muscle, he's become he's built like a feature back now. And the fact that he's been able to do that with maintaining that same amount of speed, putting on weight, it's it's surprising. Um, like I said, a little risky, but if if that if he can if he can shine. Playing in the backfield, if he can shine returning kickoffs and he can take it to the house, just don't get hurt. <laughs> just don't get hurt. Ask. Don't get injured. And just look, don't get hurt. And, yeah. and then obviously that's a concern, right? We don't want him to get hurt. We need him. Right. We're going to need him. Um, I, I will say for me, my surprise is kind of John Stevens Jr. being a little bit buried on the outside wide mm. receiver depth chart. I, I thought um, I thought he would contribute, and I'm not saying he won't. I just was a little bit surprised that he's behind Michael Jefferson. Um, he looked the part in the spring. Uh, I think a lot of us, oh yeah, and he can run. And I think a lot of us maybe, you know, look, he came from TCU. So it's a a P5 transfer that you you kind of, it catches your eye as a fan. And um, I'm a little bit surprised to see where he is on the depth chart. But at the same time, let me real quick just point out the wide receiver room if you guys. Yeah, name the receivers. Yeah, name them. Peter LeBlanc. Still, he's still classified as a sophomore, but he's a, I mean, he's a super sophomore. And Which he's, is great. He's going to be healthy. He wasn't healthy yeah. with a single snap last year. He's going to be healthy. Errol Rogers Jr. I mean, when he came into the game and, and made the catches that he made and really made an impact, I'm not saying that I didn't think the guy could play, but I was shocked at how efficient he was. An incredible route runner. Really gives you a possession guy that you can look for on a third and six, a third and nine. That's what I took away from his reps last year. Errol Rogers from Lafayette, Louisiana. You know, you go down a little bit further and you see Kyron Lacey, who I believe is going to be our guy. I think Kyron Lacey is poised to break out. And I think if if 
Levi is going to have the year that we think he can have and what we need him to have to reach our goals. I think Kyron is going to have to play a big part in that. And then obviously, we, I, you know, I mentioned Michael Jefferson and John Stevens Jr., but what I, who I didn't mention was guys like Jacob Bernard, who all of a sudden had this incredible fall, had a good spring, and, and he's all over. He's also a barstool athlete. So apparently uh-huh. he's, got, he's got a good social game. But, dude, I'm telling you, like Devin Pauly is, is buried on that side of the ball. And Devin Pauly made catch after catch in big moments for us last year. Also plays a mean special teams. You know, and, and these are guys, these are names that we've talked about and, and guys that have played big roles in big moments. And I think that's important. And, of course, you got the, like, 29-year-old Jalen Williams who, you know, he has a career and six kids at this point. You know, I love the guy. I saw him recently, actually, and we, and we talked. And I, I said, you came back? And he laughed. He's like, I got to come back for the guys, you know. So it's, it's just, a, you know, the wide receiver room is experienced. It's depth. It, it's deep. It's talented. It's reliable. You know, we went into Iowa State with none of that last year and pulled off what we pulled off. We're going into Texas, and for me, it's inferior team. It's an inferior team. For me, I'm not well, saying that they're in- so much worse, but they are not as good as Iowa State last year. And we have a full arsenal this year to actually try to do something. I think that, that Georgia Southern game, in my opinion, last year was Levi Lewis's worst game. Sure. He couldn't really he, he was missing throws. He just felt uncomfortable. He didn't really run as much. He stayed in the pocket. And I think part of the reason was that we had we had an inexperienced receiving core. He didn't really know what to do at the time. Didn't want to run. And so he just forced some throws that just didn't quite pan out. And then as the season went on, what happened? You had Aaron Rodgers getting more experience. Well, they grew up. You had, you had Dante Fleming getting more experience. You had Kyron Lacey getting more experience. And not only, not only were they getting more experience, they were making big catches. All of them scored touchdowns. Even Caleb Carter scored a few touchdowns last year, and he got a few touches. And so you got these guys that are – you know, as young as they were last season, look, two of those guys, I believe, were on the scout team going into the season. That's right. And then what happened? Khalif Gossett got hurt. Jamal Bell got hurt. You know, Peter LeBlanc wasn't 100%. So the Errol Rodgers and the Dante Flemings had to step up. And by the end of the year, those guys were contributing just as much as the receivers before them should have contributed, you know, before they got their injuries. So now you add those, that mix in. You had to have a full year under their belt at, with experience. Then you add in guys like Michael Jefferson, John Stevens Jr. And you add other guys like that who who we know, or you know, Jacob Bernard, right? You know, we know those guys are are capable, but you just added so much more depth for Levi to pick anybody he wants downfield. I mean, Pascal must be a blast because if I'm Levi Lewis, not only is he mobile, but he's got like eight different receivers to choose from who are experienced. And huge that, you know, look, if you need to get bailed out. Throw it to a 6'5", John Stevens. Throw it to a 6'4", Kyron Lacey. Jacob Bernard's also a big guy. You know, these are the kinds of things that if you're going to get over the hump and really make a mark on this college football uh, national landscape, this is how we're going to do it. We need to make big plays and big-time moments and big-time situations on national television and show the world what we really have down here. I'll say another thing that surprised me a little bit was Makai Garner beating out A.J. Washington. Now... You know that I ranted and raved about how A.J. Washington just manned up against Iowa State's best receiver, returning senior, uh, uh, best receiver and returning senior, um, and his name is escaping me right now, but he, he eliminated it from the game. That's why I can't remember the guy's name. He eliminated him. A.J. Washington eliminated that guy from the game. Brock Purdy did not have him as an option to throw to, and that was in man coverage. 
Makai Garner just beat out AJ Washington to be the starter opposite <laughs> Eric Garrard. I, I think that, that is, that's a pretty big story. And if you look at his size, dude, he's 6'2", 217. In the general five, in the non-traditional power segment of college football, whatever you want to call it, to have a guy like that starting at cornerback, and if you look down the roster, they're up and down the secondary. We've got guys that can play cornerbacks, safeties, star positions. This secondary, as Phil still told us when we talked to him, is a top 10 in the country, not a G5, in the country. Uh, but, I, I, you know, just to say that I, I know Makai Gardner had a huge upside when we signed him. The fact that he beat out AJ uh, is a little surprising to me. You know, I, I'm a little surprised by that. I will agree with you, Josh. I, I'm a little surprised by that because we've seen what Washington can do. Um, I mean, every time he's on the field, he, he just makes plays, forces turnovers, makes key tackles. Really, you don't catch anything on him. But at the same time, I think Makai Garner, because of his height, I mean, the last person I could think of that had that sense of height and ability was Melvin White. Um, and we all saw how Melvin White did. He played for the Carolina Panthers, right? Um, so anytime, whether you're a G5 or a Sunbelt school, and you have quarterbacks at least six feet apiece and are all muscle and have speed, you already have an advantage um, amongst your, your conference peers. Add to the bonus when you play a P5 like Texas, that gives you a shot to win because now your matchups give you an advantage over what an inexperienced Texas receiving core has. And quarterback. Um, and quarterback. So, I mean, that, that's why I the, – the, the, and I know we're going to talk about predictions, but one of the matchups I love is seeing if Hudson Card can throw on our secondary. I don't think many people – outside of the, the pundits who follow this stuff, really understand how experienced the Louisiana secondary really is and how fast they are, how athletic they are, how physical they are. That's going to be a surprise to a lot of people who don't really pay attention to us that much. And I know Patrick Tony is going to have them licking chops for an inexperienced quarterback and an inexperienced receiving court. And, and like Gerald said, it doesn't matter what's on your helmet, man. I mean, at the end of the day, it's about matchups. It's about experience. And I think this secondary as a whole, regardless of it's A.J. Washington, Makai Garner, because look, A.J. is going to play. He's going to get his experience. He's going to rotate in and out. Might not start, but you know Bill is not going to let him sit on the sidelines against this, this Texas team. But I think people are going to be surprised of how good this, and we'll talk a little secondary, but how good this secondary really is and what kind of, and what kind of talent they have matching up against uh, the Texas Longhorns. Yeah, last point on the secondary. Everybody look out for Trey Amos. I think Trey Amos is going to show what he is. Well, first of all, his potential is through the roof. And um, the only reason that he's not starting on this defense is because it's so goddamn deep. You know, Trey Amos, sure. Trey Amos is going to be the next great corner at UL. So just he's going to get plenty of reps. And, uh, I, you know, I, I just – I really like Trey. He's also the he's second uh, – or no, he's third for – punt returning duties behind uh, Eric and Dante Fleming, who's another receiver we didn't even talk about. Dante Fleming is going to he's gonna pop this year when he gets his opportunities. He's a flash in the pan. That guy can just get up and go. And he also has great <laughs> – yeah. for a smaller guy, he can really jump. So I know we kind of we, – we covered that. Every Everything else on the depth chart looks about what we expected it. You know, when you have 98% of your team coming back, there's not going to be a ton <laughs> right. of changeover. You know, I know the offensive line has a few tweaks and everything, but – I heard Tyler Brown actually had a, a little bit of an injury in camp this past week. So, 
you know, speedy recovery to him, but we're so deep on the offensive line. I, I don't really have a huge concern about that. Um, and outside of, of the offensive line, I can't think of many other changes that surprised me when I'm looking through the, through the roster. I, this is about what we expected, you know, and, and I think that's kind of putting it mildly. I mean, look, we, we knew what we were getting. We knew who was going to show up to play for us. And the fact that we made it through camp with minimal injuries is, is a huge plus. Uh, you awesome. Know, it, it, it had to happen. I mean, we were due for some good luck on the injury front, right? <laughs> so I think my question, my question, Josh, and, my, and I just don't mean to cut you off, but what are the keys to the Cajuns winning on Saturday? And I'll give you my input, but based off of what we talked about with the roster, who we see is pretty loaded. What is it going to take, and who who in particular is going to have to step up to to win this game on Saturday for the Cajuns? Well, you know, we touched on it. We talked about the line of scrimmage, and that's an easy answer, the line of scrimmage. Of course you have to win the line of scrimmage. Obviously, you don't want to turn the football over. You can't win. You can't beat a Mississippi State on the road by turning it over five times. You can't, you know, you know, even in the, in the Iowa State game, we played a sloppy game. We talked about this before. I thought we played a C-plus game and won the game. You miss uh-huh. two. You miss two field goals. You you know you, you you look kind of, I don't know, not good on offense for the majority of that game. You got a couple of big splash plays from key guys to win that game. That's not gonna. I don't think that can happen again. I think we're gonna have to play a complete game to go in and beat Texas. Um, for me, I look the matchup is the Ragin' Cajuns defensive line, the depth on that defensive line, and the front line talent. Your Sauce, your Wilkerson, your Zion Hill. Those guys producing when they're in the game and setting the tone for their rotation guys to come in and hold the line. I think that's the difference. And if we can stop the run and make Hudson Card throw the football against that talented, very deep, very experienced secondary, I think that their offense is in for a very long day at the office. Now, similarly... Mm -hmm offensively for the Cajuns, is Levi going to show up and be Levi of Coastal Carolina in 2019 and light the place up? Or are we going to, is it going to be kind of clunky? Um, I, I don't really see that happening because we, again, we have the experience in the wide receiver core this year. I think that they're going to help him out by not running the wrong routes or knowing when to stick a dig, knowing when to run an option route, knowing you know where to find that soft zone uh, if Texas goes out and plays a zone, where to go sit down in the zone and be open and help their, their, their quarterback when he's trying to get out of, of trouble. All of those little things can really make or break a game. Are we going to be able to beat them over the top? Are they going to try to play a, a press a man coverage, and are they really going to sell out to stop the run? These are questions that you know we're not going to know until game time. But but Levi, I have I have the utmost confidence that he can drive the team and not make mistakes. I I, I don't necessarily think he's going to outshine anybody, and and that's no dig on Levi. We, we just know his limitations, right? But I know that he can put us in a position to win. He's done it since his first day starting for this program, and and I think he can do it again in Austin. I think he's got so many good pieces, and and the supporting cast is so good this year especially this year, that he doesn't have to be perfect. He can go out and play his game. He can scramble around, make plays out of nothing, hit a couple of open receivers. Hopefully we feature the tight end a little bit. Everything you hear out of camp is that Neil Johnson's going to absolutely explode this year. 
I feel like I hear that every year out of a tight end group. Of, it's not, he's Lumpkin. not even starting either. Johnny yeah, Lumpkin Johnny Lumpkin. Start. And look, I love Johnny yeah. Lumpkin. I like him on the line to help in, in blocking, but I want to see him catch the no football. No drops. No I, drops. I, I got to see it. I got to see the cinder block hands. No I'm drops. sick of it. We got to catch the ball. Yeah. We got to catch the ball. So, so I gave you mine, and, and look, I think we're solid everywhere else. I, I think it comes down to those position matchups against Texas. I, I think that's it's that simple. You know, we heard I heard a podcast earlier, and I sent you the link, and and you know they were very complimentary of us. I'm not going to say who, but they were very complimentary of us, and they also said, but you know where they think Texas is going to win, and then some. I think they predicted like a one touchdown game, and then it was respectable. But I think where they predicted that they would win is they're going to beat us because they're deeper and they're just more talented as a P5, which, okay, I get that. Here's the difference, and this is where I'm going to disagree with that analysis. Yes, they're deeper probably by a little bit. Yeah, they're probably a little bit more talented on paper, it's fair to say. We're more veteran-laden team. We're more, I think we're just just as if not disciplined. My question is, and it's a rhetorical question. It's not directly to you, but it's a rhetorical question. Answer if you if you wish. Who's going to make less mistakes? Because I don't think people really understand with Texas, as good as they may be, as talented as they may be, with a new coaching staff, new scheme, and they got some youth in certain skill positions, how many, how many mistakes are they going to make compared to the mistakes we make? I don't think many people are talking about that. How many drop balls are those young receivers going to have? How many holding calls? How many, how many times... You know, how many missed assignments? How many times is Hudson Card going to force? Like you said, he's a gunslinger. He's going to force a throw into it. And Percy Butler picks it off for a pick six. How many times will Texas make those mistakes with their youth? I would trust our team to not make as many mistakes just based off of experience than I would more than I would Texas. And, and, and I'm not saying that as a homer. I just believe that we're just, I really do think we're a more disciplined team, regardless of if we're a little bit, you know, inferior in talent. I think we're good enough to compete with them, and I just think we're a little more disciplined. And historically speaking, under Billy Napier, we don't make mistakes. I mean, look at the Very special rare. teams. Special teams was ranked by Phil Still number seven in the country. Okay? We don't make mistakes. Defensively, we know where we're supposed to be. We're not running around with, you know, like chickens with our head cut, cut off. We, we know what our assignments are. We know what our expectations are. We know where we're supposed to be when we're supposed to be there. And, yeah. and because of that, we don't think on the field. We just react. And so, right. so I don't think that your comment is being a homer. I think that your comment is you have some historical, you know, proven facts. You have, you have some experience with this coaching staff. And, and speaking of the coaching staff, I think that's another unknown that you and I maybe have glossed over a little bit. We've got a lot of new guys on the staff, and this is going to be their first big shining moment in, in a lot of ways. So are they going to be up to the task? And, and obviously we can't, uh, we can't answer that until we see what they can do, but I have the utmost confidence. I think Billy has put together an incredible staff from the time he got here, um, and I trust him. I trust his decision-making, and, I, and I, I think Patrick Tony is one of the – brightest young rising stars in the business. I know that nobody will outwork him. I know that he's going to be as prepared, if if not more prepared than anybody on the Texas staff. That's no knock. I just know Patrick yeah. Tony's work ethic. So when it comes down to game preparation, I got, I have no worries about that. When it comes down to talent, I think it's comparable. When it comes down to depth and key positions, I think it's comparable. It's going to be who's going to show up to play on Saturday, who's going to not make mistakes, and who's going to execute the game plan. That's what it comes down to. 
Do you feel better about the game against Iowa going into Iowa State last year as you do this year? Oh, that's tough. So I think that I'll answer, I'll, I'll answer too once. Good, good. I, I think that Iowa State was a superior team than this Texas team. For many reasons, they had more senior uh, more senior leadership. Brock Purdy was a is going to be what is he going to be a six year quarterback this year? I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure he was a fifth year senior last year. They, <laughs> he was yeah. They had all Americans. He was a junior. I think it was a junior. He was, was he? Junior. Oh, okay, yeah. well, but still, he had plenty of starts his under backs. his belt. They had right. a, a coach that had been there five years, knew his system. They the, the, the mm. players knew his system in and out. Uh, they had All-Americans up and down the offensive line. They had a defense that had NFL safety and some really good cover corners. I mean, this was a team that was picked to, top, to, to finish in the top 10, and they did, okay? They won the Fiesta Bowl, finished the season, I think, number seven in the country. Right. You think that this Texas right. team has that ceiling? I don't. No, I, I, think, I think the thing that's a little intimidating is that we have a history with Texas. And, of course, my CDS is kicking in a little bit. I'll admit it. Um, I know this isn't our dad's or grandfather's Cajun team, but you know, you, 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 I think the difference is you have to go on the road in front of a hundred thousand fans in that hostile environment. I think that makes a little bit of a difference. I'm kind of curious. That's another thing I know we really haven't touched on too much, but I am kind of curious to see how our team reacts to that environment. I don't think they're going to be nervous. I don't think they're going to be intimidated, but all it takes is one big play and you have a hundred thousand people with that loud roar you didn't have that in Ames last year. And look, Ames at that stadium, it gets pretty intense. It's a 60,000 seat stadium, but there were no fans there last year. It was the marching band. That was it. Maybe a few hundred fans. I'm curious to see, you know, on a third and a third and 10 at our own 20, how Levi, the offensive line and our skill guys on offense, how they communicate and, and, and are they able to convert a first down with that crowd? Can they shut the crowd up? You know, can they keep the crowd quiet? Um, we've seen what that can do. I, you know, when I was a manager, a student manager at UL, we played South Carolina first game of the season. They did the whole space out the whole 2001 space odyssey. And it was intimidating. Sure. And, you know, we tied the game at 14 in the second quarter. Now granted South Carolina, you know, ended up winning the game by two touchdowns, but it was respectable enough to where in the second quarter, you could hear a pin drop. 85,000 fans were shocked. And so I know that this team is a lot better than that 2017, right? The question is, can this team go into that environment in front of 100,000 fans and, and quiet them? Man, we, we're, we're going to find out. No, we got the talent to do it. It's a great point. It, nobody can, can quantify how these guys are going to react. Now, we feel like they've had enough starts under their belt, and, and we feel like they've got game time to where it's kind of just get out there and play, but you never it know. Shouldn't it's DKR, yeah, it shouldn't bother It shouldn't affect them. It's, it's right. DKR. It's a different environment. And even, you know, even that Mississippi State game, okay, uh, and in Superdome, that was a little bit of a mixed crowd. The game that they went on the road to Starkville, I went to the game. Uh, that place was rocking, but listen, Jordan Davis is not Levi Lewis. You know, I, it's right. just things have no, changed. No, Nunes. Oh, yeah. Andre excuse Nunes me. Excuse me. It was Nunes. You're correct. Yeah. Things have changed so much since those days. This is not that team. And this is not even that coach. Billy Napier has grown as a coach. Well, that was a second game as a head coach. That's I right. I mean, this is we're on year number four. Right. And and he's gone twenty since that game, he's gone twenty-seven and ten. Yeah. He was twenty-eight and eleven good. as a head coach. Pretty good. He was seven and seven his first year, twenty-one and four the past two seasons with two bowl wins, a conference championship, and a national ranking, top fifteen ranking. Right. Things have dramatically um, improved. 
things have dramatically improved. And, and again, you know, it's the Cajun fan in me, right? We, we just wait for something bad to happen. But at the same time, I feel that this team's a little bit different. Again, the reason why I asked you about Texas and Iowa State, go, I, I'm, I'm still hesitant. I was very hesitant going into the Iowa State game because you're going to their house against a ranked team. It's a big name school. It's a P5. And we're playing Texas. I mean, it's Texas. I, that's the only way I can say it. It's like, I think we can win the game. I believe we can win the game. I think we will win the game. But at the end of the day, can we get over the fact that, like Gerald talked about the logo, can our players get past seeing that, that Longhorn logo on their helmets? If they can do that, we, we should be able to win. Before we give predictions, let me ask you this. If you take those burnt orange jerseys off, God, it's, and I hate their jerseys. If you take their burnt orange jerseys off, and you slap Kansas State on there. Does your opinion change? Rosters I are the, think it does. Rosters yeah, are the same. Our yeah. roster's the same. Everything is equal. But we're looking at a purple shirt rather than a burnt orange shirt. Because I can tell you, and, for me, it changes because it matters. Psychology matters in sports. That's why the games are played. That's why you don't just line up with a roster sheet and hand them over and say, oh, well, you're better than me. You win. It matters. The environment matters. Play by play, it, it all matters. Psyche matters. So I understand, you know, that it plays into it. At the same time, if I'm Billy and I'm the guys, I'm saying, look, I know that you're looking at Texas and I know we're going to DKR in Austin. I get all that. But those guys put our pants on one leg at a time, just like we do. Okay? Put their pants on one leg at a time, just like we do. Look, nothing to be worried about. Let's go out and execute our game plan. It's about us. Like Robe used to say, it's about our game. It's about our team and our game. Let's focus on what we do well. And if we do that, we can win. Yeah, and, and also, too, and you're right, the psychology goes a long way. I mean, look, I've had, just even as a player, like if you were to go play for an FCS school compared to going to practice at a P5 school, your level of, I've heard from people before, sports psychologists, your level, your own level of play and ability goes up because of where you are, your setting, you become where, where you are. Right. And, you know, for me, um, I'm with you. I, I agree. If they put on a purple shirt or Kansas state, my opinion changes too, because it's not Texas. It's Kansas state. We've beaten Kansas state before we've competed with, them. um, we haven't competed with, we haven't competed with Texas. Uh, and then when we played them, they're blowouts at the same time. Again, I don't, I think this is a different team, a uh, different Louisiana team. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, one of my friends who's a high school coach, um, he, he was playing a school, you know, he, he kind of turned around the program where he was at, you know, they were a losing team. And I remember one time he played against a school that has a history and is they go to the playoffs every year. And, and the team that they faced, they were up by, they were, his team was down by like three touchdowns. And the first thing he said, he goes, you know what your problem is? You're looking at that logo too much. They're not that much better than you. We've practiced all week. We were prepared. But when they come out and you look at that logo and you look at the color of their jersey, you freeze. Why? You, you're beating yourself. Why you freeze? It doesn't matter what they're wearing. They, don't, ignore the logo on the helmet. Ignore the jersey. Ignore the jersey color. Don't worry about that. Play your game. And it's, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I've, it's true. I think this team, and I said this, we said this on the Great Scott Show, I think this team is confident enough. I think they believe they're going to win. Now we got to see. Now we, now we got to see. And that was the new segment that we're introducing to everyone called, Man, I Tell You What. 
love it. I love it. No, that's definitely nice. got to happen. So, Jerry, before we get out of here, man, let me just look. It's it's 48 hours, so game time. What oh happens on gosh. Saturday in Austin? Well, here's the thing. I'm going to give some keys to Cajuns so Cajuns win, okay? And I want to announce something afterwards, too. So, Levi is going to have to throw the ball well. He's going to have to have good vision downfield. Um, he's going to have to use his feet. There's going to be no pocket passer Levi Lewis, okay, if you want to win this game. He's going to have to run. Third and four, if he sees nobody, take off and run, get the first down, extend the drive. You shut the crowd up. You kill their momentum. You just keep you just extend drives. Secondly, win the turnover battle, obviously. We, we were plus two against Iowa State. You don't want to turn the ball over like Mississippi State in your own red, in your own inside your own 20-yard line, right? And then also, too, hold B. John Robinson to under, under 100 yards and basically expose the fact that Hudson Card's a freshman. Expose him. He's a freshman, first start. Expose him. Use the front seven. Use that veteran-laden secondary. Expose him. Make him make some throws. Make him force some, some plays and expose him. Uh, so if you do those things, I think the Cajuns have a shot. I'm going to predict, I really think the, the veteran leadership and the focus and the discipline with Billy Napier is going to prevail with this team. I like the Cajuns 27-24 and um, biggest win in school history at Darrell K. Royal. Oh, my gosh. I love oh, and Monday morning. And what's going to happen is Monday morning, it's going to be the top story on ESPN first take. Or is Texas, are they ready for the SEC? They just lost to Louisiana. You know, no, I'm, those, I'm ready for that. So on the Chiron, on, on the, uh, on the what, what is it? What's the goofy show? It's uh, first take on first take. Here's, the, here's, the, here's on the Chiron. House of Cards. Texas, not back. Yeah. Because <laughs> of Hudson Card, right? right? It's not a good joke if you have right. to explain it. No, no. Uh, look, I, you know, I don't do predictions, but I can tell you this. When I look at this roster and I put it up against Texas's roster, I like our roster. And yeah, it's that simple. It's that simple. I, I don't have to get into really the minutia of it all. I like the roster. I like it. I think we're better. I think we're better top to bottom at key positions. I think we're more talented. I think we're more experienced. And I think we're ready to go. And I think these guys are going to go in there and make a statement. I don't know what the score is going to be. It's going to be us more than them. And that's my prediction. Okay. Now, with that said, if our predictions come true, and I'm announcing it right here on the Rage and Review podcast, if the Cajuns win... And Josh, I know you'll be in Austin, but for anybody that's here, whether you're at a watch party here or watching it at your friend's house or on your couch, wherever, if you're in the vicinity and the Cajuns come out of Texas with a win, I'm gonna, we're going to put on the social media page and all over Facebook and wherever, Instagram, wherever, we will do what we can to do a welcome back at the airport. What do you think? How about we record from the airport? Ooh, mm. oh, a little, adding a little cherry on top. But seriously, let's go greet the team at the airport if they win. I'm in. I, I mean, I'm going to be in Austin. I'll try to do my best to get back. Maybe I'll try. Look, what I'll do is I'll I'll be a stowaway on the plane and come back <laughs> with the team. On the way. And then I'll, I'll wave a flag baggage. or something. Yeah. I Fly mean, with yeah, the luggage. Yeah. They'll have to kick me out. We'll do we'll do a uh, we'll do a welcome a warm welcome back with Cajun Nation welcoming back this team if we pull off the win in Texas because look let me tell you they will they will definitely deserve that absolutely definitely dude. deserve that a- absolutely and uh, you know everybody listen no matter what yeah. happens on Saturday it's fun live in the moment soak it up watch the game go to the game do everything you can support this team this team is big time. Or not even at the airport, at Cajun Field. Go meet them at that by the complex. We'll anywhere. do everything we can to coordinate. How about that? The reality is, fans, Cajun Nation, all you listeners, you're about to watch the number 23 ranked Louisiana Raging Cajuns take the field. 
nationally ranked. If that can't get you to a game or a television, I don't know what to tell you. Think about that for a second. For Jerry, I'm Josh. Thank you for putting up with me, subbing for Matt. Matt, good wishes to you out there, buddy. Horns down. Go Cajuns. Let's bring home a W. Let's do it, man. Thanks for having me, Josh. Always fun, my friend. Yes, sir.